All right. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Out My Way, where we discuss, we discover, and we most of all celebrate what it means to be an outsider and society at large and as a listener slash appreciator, sometimes creator of non-mainstream and open-minded uh, non-denominational music. And by non-denominational, I mean not in the religious sense, but certainly within that as well, but uh, non, non-denominational in the sense of not able to be categorized so easily put into a genre box, be it as music, art, any form of expression, really. So that's what we're about here. And that's what we will dive into today with Joe Biza of the legendary band Saccharin Trust. They put out many albums on SST and uh, other labels. And then along with that, Joe Biza has done so many projects and continues in his trajectory along searching for that perfect note, that perfect um, expression of life force. He is, as you'll hear in the interview, he is never content to just sit back and coast along uh, familiar pathways. He is always carving out new niches, whether that's with uh, the aforementioned Saccharin Trust, his uh, band he had going for a while of jazz rock uh, experimentation, Universal Congress of, or uh, in his many projects with Mike Watt of the Minutemen. Uh, Lately, he is... He is just a master collaborator and does some solo shows as well. And not only that, like along along with uh, pretty much every guest so far and every guest to come, as far as all the interviews I've got backlogged, these folks create because they have to. And it's not mono-directional. They may be musicians, most of them are, but they're also visual artists. They're also writers. They're also you know, every moment they're creating in different manners. So that's, you know, one thing that's so pure and so inspirational about all my guests. And, you know, it it challenges me to become more focused, more uh, genuine, to, to just create more, period, with my own expression, my own avenues of creation to open the channel that much wider and for that I am eternally grateful and I hope you know that's what I hope in my deepest heart of hearts that anybody gets out of this podcast is that same feeling of being so inspired by these folks that they want to dive into their music their creation but also to find their own voice and before we get into that interview I'll just tell you a little bit about what I've been up to. So, you know, I I do another podcast called End on End, which dives into the Discord catalog. And uh, as of the last couple of weeks, that thing has really uh, took off. And it's so humbling. And I encourage anyone interested in the DC punk scene to check it out. I interview a lot of uh, key creators and 
there, there's occasionally uh, some crossover between this and that one. But yeah, it's this has meant so much to me to be able to have this avenue of expression myself. And speaking of expression, you know, uh, a, a fellow musician whose band I used to tour along with uh, just recently, just this week, said, uh, hey, you know, check it out. I've got this guitar I put up for sale. You know, I hate to part with it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, really nice telly. And, you know, I don't know. I'd call it divine uh, intervention, but I was like, you know what? I want that. And I got that. So there you go, you know, another... <laughs> Another tool in the toolbox, uh, another guitar, perhaps that I don't need, but that called to me and whispered to me to say, hey, this is what you're going to use for your next project. And uh, that's kind of lit the fire under me to reach out to the musicians I know out here in Northern California about doing a new project. So, you know, that's that's in the works. And pandemic be damned I mean sure I'm not being reckless but I'm also not not living as well and I have to do this I have to play music as many of you probably do so that's happening and I'll uh, keep you abreast on that especially as uh, things keep going and uh, start having recordings and whatnot otherwise you know I also and uh, recently upgraded my turntable, which might be a minor thing, but it's huge to me. I was like, wow, this is the first nice turntable that I've had pretty much in my life. And I inaugurated that with, uh, what did I put on there? Well, the new, the latest Kamasi Washington, who's just, boom, blazing a path on uh, of what is possible and where to take jazz in a way that's unique but also honoring the lineage and he is he is spiritual he is deep he is a master and i am always excited to check out what he's been up to so you know got that uh speaking of jazz diving down the rabbit hole of sun Ra's material you know he was a constant inspiration to me. I saw him when I was 15 and it just, boom, exploded my head really uh, with possibility. So been diving down that ever, ever renewing rabbit hole. There's always new material that turns up and it, it, it always rewards. Besides that, um, what else? Been checking out a guy whose work I've I've uh, followed since the 80s, really, as well. Um, this guy, Daniel Higgs, who we'll have an interview with in about a month or two. And his first bands, uh, Reptile House and Lungfish, both kind of paved a path with not unlike Saccharine Trust in that they wedded, you know, very insightful and deep poetry with aggressive music and when I say poetry I don't mean poetry in the sense of the way some 
I don't know, mainstream rock, even Beatles songs are considered poetry. And in their way, they are. But this is stuff that, that when I say poetry, I mean words that hold up on paper with if you had never heard the music, words that serrate to the bone. So, yeah, Daniel Higgs, he's a visionary. He's a master as well, especially in the uh, written realm, but also in his shamanic performances. He is so good. Uh, in fact, at the end of the first episode that we did with uh, David Fair, the song I kind of closed things out with was by him solo. So, you know, you might want to go back and check that out. And his recent, in recent times, he's been doing some solo things, accompanying him, himself on banjo and some other instruments. But, but he's also doing a main thing with his partner called Fountain Sun. And they've got a couple albums out that are really worth checking out. And they've got a live thing that's available on Bandcamp. It's very, what is it? I would say it's like ritual, pagan, celebratory, investigative reports from the front lines of life. And as you can uh, tell probably by my description, it's not exactly light listening, but it's also not uh, so cerebral at all. It's got that element, but it's it it goes very uh, into the heart as well. And speaking of that sort of thing, you know, I've been uh, just reconnecting with nature. This pandemic has us boxed in, has us isolated in some senses, but that's why it's so important to renew oneself. And I do that in the chapel outside, in the hills, the mountains, the streams, and the beaches out here in Marin, California. That is where I go for direction, for renewal. And yeah, it, it makes all the difference. It makes the other things survivable when it comes down to it, really, for me. Uh, besides that, what else? Uh, I checked out finally. Somehow I'd never seen that residence documentary, uh, Theory of Obscurity. It's, that was something. That was really inspiring. I'm, I'm sure many listeners are familiar with the residence. I would love to be able to talk to somebody in that orbit. And maybe, maybe somehow I will. Probably not one of them directly, because that would go against their whole ethos. But, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see what we can do there. And I'll leave you with this. To really fully feel deeply, to really fully have those experiences that most people want in life. To create, to consider, to take in with the senses. You have to pause. You have to push pause. You have to get off social media for a moment. You have to notice that space between breaths. 
the uh, space between notes that uh, Miles Davis talks about as being just as important as the notes themselves, if not more so. So I'd say lean into that space. That's what I've been working on. That's been my spiritual practice lately. Investigate the space between. It's fertile ground. Without further ado...
it looked like dusk and it was only 3 p.m. You know, I go, wow, strange. The sun was covered with all the smoke and, you know. Right. And I, could, I heard this strange sound. You know, I go, I live next to a couple of Buddhist temples. So I thought, is that the, some chanting at the other Buddhist <laughs> temple around the corner? I went, no, that's something else. What is that? So I kind of followed the sound to a vacant lot and across the street. Where's that coming from? I finally came to this, another street, and there is that guy again. He's playing by uh, one of the metro stops, but across the street on this corner, you know? Yeah. So you go, wow, there's that dude. So I was looking at him, and I just kind of stood next. You know, he looked kind of serious. I go, I don't want to bother him. You know, I might get pissed off. So I just sort of stood off to the side and just looked at him, and that was it. I walked away after a few minutes. Did he and then, have, does he uh, have, like, a, a case you know, like a hat or a case out or anything for donations, he, or he's just going? Yeah, he, he had a little can that said tips, but I yeah. don't know who would tip a person doing that, you know? <laughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't entertainment music. It was yeah. just some bizarre kind of playing. He had this style of playing that was sort of, a, his name is, is John Wynn. Okay. And he had this style, he's kind of a primitive kind of player, so he had this style where it's this weird drony sound like <laughs> so it almost has a kind of a trance like feeling right right so i go all right so i left and next week i heard him again so i walked over there and listened to him a bit and then he took a break and we started talking and i met him and then we decided oh, well, let's jam together uh -huh. so ever since then i get together with him he's been playing out in the street for years he lives in my neighborhood, like about six blocks from where I live. Huh. So he's kind of known in the neighborhood. But now, I, every occasion, I'll sit in with him. Right. And that's, you know, I've been jamming with him, and that's what we did yesterday. We, we had this spot uh, on Santa Fe under the 4th Street Bridge, and it's really perfect. The acoustics in there, and it's mm -hmm. nice and, you know, shaded. Yeah, shaded from the sun. And, you know, so I get to practice my improvising. But um, the thing about that is that he plays for a long, he'll play for like 45 minutes or something, you know. But like we fit consistently. I mean, yeah, it just keeps playing. So, I mean, I've been doing uh, shows, solo improvised shows before that, you know, on stage. Mm -hmm. And I, it would always be 20 minutes, 25 minutes. But I'd never played that long for an yeah. hour. So yeah. I thought, well... That's oh, a challenge. Yeah, it is. So um, it, jamming with him has taught me how to do these long kind of improvisations. Right. And does it has it made you uh, kind of uh, maybe like Sonny Rollins or something think about the structure of the improvisation in long form? Or yes, exactly. Nice. Yeah. So I mean, uh, now I start to think it's sort of like I'm pacing myself in a way. Mm -hmm. So I know. Well, I'm going to be playing for an hour, or 45 minutes, 50 minutes. So, and, I, of course, I'm playing with him, too. So I'm listening to what he's doing. Yeah. And uh, pacing myself. It's, and then the other part of it is that uh, we're playing on the street to whoever happens to be listening, you know. So it's it's not like a... So you're the reacting to the to the right. environment, yeah. Yeah, sometimes people will walk by, and I go, a couple will walk by across the street or something, and I'll play something about I feel about their attitude or how they're behaving uh -huh. or walking, you know. I'll yeah. play a particular kind of a kind of music that 
uh, like I'm playing to them and they don't really realize it. They're just kind of rushing by or something. Yeah. So I kind of have fun with that, you know. Oh, that's great. And, uh, yeah, and just different, taking on different uh, approaches. You know, I used to play a lot when I jammed with him at first. I was doing a lot of playing. I was kind of busy with the playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I said, no, I'm going to stop that. So then I started stripping it down, you know, and and, uh, and we started talking about music, the two of us. And uh, I gave him some lessons, some music lessons. Oh, cool. And then I could understand where he's coming from. So I start to understand his language when he's right. playing, you know. Right. And, and that's what it is. Is it's it's like translating languages when you're playing with ex- people. Right. Exactly. So I, I, after talking with him, we talked about music. I can tell. Oh, he's doing this kind of thing in the key of E or mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, he's back in that key of C thing he does. I mean, an outsider or someone who's just listening casually wouldn't hear those things but now that i know him and we've talked i can hear what he's doing so i adapt to that yeah and it's sort of like a, i'm sort of i'm kind of shrouding his or his uh music with a, a kind of context you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if you were to hear this guy you go whoa what is that but then i create a context around him with what i'm doing musically wow. so it's a great combination. He allows me to to experiment, and then he likes it too because I'm jamming along with him like that. So we've been having a good time. Yeah, that and sounds great. You better yeah, watch we, out. You might you might end up with a full band out there at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Drums, bass, yeah. Right. Yeah, um, you know, but we and we changed locations. We played in front of the downtown police station. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and then. Uh, it's a it's a new it's a brand new police station on First Street, in Maine, first in Maine in downtown LA, and there's this uh, it's a really big brand new police station, but it's probably been there for a few years now. But uh-huh. there's a structure right on the corner, and a modern looking kind of a structure on First in Maine, and there's a big sign, you know, LAPD Los Angeles Police Department. But there's nothing going on in that. You look to look at it, and there's no, no. There's a desk and everything, but it's closed. There's no one in there. It's almost like some kind of a prop or something. This building, you know. Wow. So like a we, set. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a trip. So we set up right in front of that on the sidewalk, right in front of the sign. It's, <laughs> it's some sign. And then meanwhile, in the background, all these kids are skateboarding down the steps, doing all their little tricks and stuff. Uh-huh. So it's sort of this. It's like a trippy little corner where these kids are doing all the skateboarding stuff and jumping off the stuff. In front of the police station. Right, in front of the police station. Are you using the the tricks they're doing as uh, percussion for you guys or what? (laughs) No, they just leave us alone. We leave them alone. So I just hear them skidding around in the background. Once in a while, they jump off a a step. And they kind of like us, too, when we're jamming. So, (laughs) you know. That's crazy. Sometimes they'll look they look at us and jump back on the skateboard again, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. You know. Creating a live uh, soundtrack to the to the neighborhood. That's right, cool. yeah. With the protest, we played, we, not well, when the protest calmed down, there wasn't any uh, looting and rioting. Yeah. We started going back out again, and we played uh, right there. City Hall is right across the street, up one block over from, from that spot. So we moved over a block and played there, and there were some demonstrations, and, People were marching by us and 
gave us the kinds of water and snacks. So all our areas covered with oh. bags of water and snacks and all kinds of little presents from everyone, you know. That's awesome. So, so yeah, it was cool just to play for, for those people like that when they're protesting. Definitely, man. And, uh, you but, know, doing your part in a way. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm just, you know, you know I practice at home. I'm not working, of course. Uh-huh. And uh, doing this outside playing, outdoors playing with uh, John. Yeah. And I... Uh, Working on a project with this other friend of mine, a recorded project. Yeah, yeah that's what I was gonna. I was gonna get to later, but we might as well now since we're on it. Uh, like, so with with the whole pandemic thing, like, what do you, uh, you know, is that how you've been spending your time? You've been practicing, been uh, getting out with with uh, John and and uh, um, mm-hmm. what else? Well, yeah. Um, well, my friend uh, Dan McGuire. Uh, we had this group called Unknown Instructors. I don't know if you've heard of it with with Mike Watt and George yeah. Hurley. Yeah, I was gonna. That was another thing. I just discovered it when I was researching stuff for the interview. I, I had no idea you that you played with both of those guys. Yeah, well, we're old friends. Me, Mike, and right. George. You know, from the Minutemen days. Sure. And yeah. Because I used to live in San Pedro, and when that whole thing was developing, uh, I knew those guys when they didn't even when they had their first gig and huh. well, george wasn't in george wasn't playing on the first gig but oh pre Minutemen, yeah yeah it was Minuteman, but with a different drummer oh oh i thought so, it was just reactionaries was before. well there was the reactionaries and then they broke up and then the Minutemen were rehearsing it was george i mean uh mike and and dennis uh-huh. and i used to live downstairs from where they lived from dennis lived so i was Dennis's neighbor, and I lived downstairs. <laughs> yeah, I read I, I uh, read about that somewhere. That's awesome. Right, yeah. So I would hear them rehearsing and, you know, getting their new band, the Minutemen, together. Wow. And then, uh, real quick, I'll just tell you, yeah, so yeah. their first gig, uh, a girl I knew was organizing a show at the community college there, Harbor College in Wilmington. And uh, the Plugs were playing. I think they were the headliner and some other bands. Uh-huh. And she wanted the Minutemen to open the show. It was their first gig. So she says, hey, I'm going to audition. I want to hear these guys audition see that they're going to be good for the show. You want to come along? So I said, yeah. So I know Mike and, and Dennis. So uh-huh. We went there and um, listened to them play. And uh, they played for about 20 or 25 minutes. And I thought they were playing one complete song because <laughs> Mike was kind of nervous and uh, he was just, he'd play a, 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 this is their first songs, you know? Yeah, yeah. He'd play a song and then he'd go right into the next song immediately uh-huh. and he'd just jump right into it. So there was no space between the songs. They just yeah, were yeah. doing these songs from that, the songs from their first little seven inch, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I go, wow, this is some kind of strange music. I thought it was one song. I thought, wow, these songs, these these parts keep changing and everything. <laughs> but they're really playing all like they played like eight songs or whatever. That's funny. But um, yeah. But then of course they got their first gig. Then and they played that show and the drummer quit and then George joined up with them again. So and um, yeah, they were they were fantastic. You know, I just really love that band, but. Yeah, and I mean, and if there's any band on uh, 
I mean, I, obviously, you guys kind of grew up together, it sounds like, to some degree. But also, uh, you know, if there's any band on that that time period that was anything the least bit related to you guys, sound-wise or approach-wise, you know, it would be something like Minutemen, in my my opinion. Yeah, that, that's all the San Pedro, the whole San Pedro scene. So they were a real inspiration for me. Because those guys had been playing for a while, and then I decided to play guitar, you know. And I had played before a little bit, you know, and then I just gave I just, just gave it up. But then at that time, I met Jack Brewer, and then um, I decided I'll try again, you know. Yeah, from a how different, did, uh, for, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, how did you meet Jack? Um, through a, a mutual friend. Um, yeah, um, my friend Paul, Paul Urias. Uh-huh. A neighborhood friend of mine who also plays guitar and i was living in my parents garage at the time and i was looking for a job uh-huh. and uh i went to visit paul who lived around the corner at his in his parents house we're like in our early 20s or something right right and then um you know i said hey paul uh, hello and i knocked on his door and he goes he just said I got to get going, man. I got to go visit this guy. I'm leaving right now. I said, okay, you want to come along? I said, yeah, all right. Uh-huh. And he goes, his, this guy has a, he wants me to be his guitar player in his band, but really I just want to use his amplifier because he had a Marshall amp or something. Uh-huh. So Paul was excited about that. Right. So, And I said, what do you know? How do you know this guy? He goes, oh, I have this job. He's the foreman at this job I have. Uh-huh. So I said, hey, are they hiring? And then he said, you can ask him. Let's go. So we took off and went to Jack's house. Yeah. And then Jack was excited to see Paul. And then, oh, this is Joe. Jack goes, hello. I said, hey. Uh, he, gave, he gave me this, like, weak, limp handshake. Hello. Like, he didn't care about me. Oh, no. I yeah. said, hey, uh, I heard you're a foreman at this place. Are they hiring there? And he just said, you're hired. Okay, come on. Let's go inside, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that. Oh, wow. So then Paul played some stuff with him, and that's how I met Jack. And there was a—I mean, it's just a really chaotic household. His mother and all his sisters, and he lived with Marshall. They had the same bedroom, and this guy, his friend Marshall, and uh, uh-huh. it was just a mess in there. Uh-huh. And uh, is he about—was—is he about the same age as you when you met him? No, he's younger than I am. I'm always the oldest guy. Are you? <laughs> he was, yeah. I'm always a, I, with all the whole my whole background. I'm always the guy's like five to ten years older than everyone else, you know. That's so I funny. think Jack must have been a. See, I might have been 27. He was probably 21 or 22 or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. recall, but he was younger than me. Wow. You know, but I always had the opposite thing. I was always the youngest guy in the room, youngest guy in the band, and. Somewhere oh. along the way, I, I jumped the fence to the other side too. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's it's funny. Uh, I'm always the oldest person, but you know nowadays, I got this guy John. I was telling you about. He's older yeah. than me, so I thought, oh, finally, a person older than I am. You know, uh-huh. only one year, but still, you know. Right. <laughs> I go okay. You know, so. But yeah, yeah so, it's always been like that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Oh yeah. So. So do you want to, let's see, we could either go in the direction of talking about the unknown instructors right right now, or we could continue kind of sequentially, you know, it's up to you, whatever you feel like. 
Whatever you'd like to do is fine. I'll just go along with what, how you want to do it. You um, know, well, plan, so go ahead. Yeah, well, well, let's finish. Uh, or no, yeah, let's let's loop that that back to uh, recent times. The unknown unknown instructors, like, so you met you met those guys back in the day, obviously, and we're right. tight. And then uh, you've kind of, you know, uh, you've played with Watt like so much over the years, like uh, yeah. post you know, in and then post, uh, Saccharin Trust. So, you know, uh, what is it about, uh, about Mike that, the, the, that you guys connect so much on? Well, I think it's, uh, just meeting him back in those times. We've known each other for so long and he's done so many things now with his, his music career, Yeah. but he's, but most times he's always been very supportive of what I do. He's very, very nice to me and very supportive just because I think because we know each other from even before he started the Minuteman, you know. So, mm-hmm. And then he had after Dennis died, he had fire hose and everything else he did. Mm-hmm. He would invite me to do things with him. If I had some project, I'd say, can you do this with me, Mike? And so we always had some contact like that. Even today, it's the same. Mike's always supportive and you know we're like old friends and he helps me out where he can you know yeah he seems like that just in general such a good guy like there's a guy that plays out here like on the street uh god i can't remember his name now uh it was when i lived in san francisco about 16 almost 20 years ago uh i would see this guy playing all the time uh a toothless old guy that would play the blues and had a kind of cool energy to him and uh i would talk to him every time i'd go to the bus station whatever and uh end up buying a cd from him and he's like yeah you know uh mike watt plays on this i'm like what (laughs) and he's like yeah he's like i used to be in uh this la band top jimmy and the rhythm pigs blah blah blah. oh Oh, guitarlos carlos guitarlos carlos guitarlos that's it yeah yeah oh man that's funny you mentioned that wow Yeah, it was yeah. a wild connection. That is, that's pretty crazy because I know Carlos from back in those times, the Top Jimmy. Yeah, he's a great guitar player, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, and he's kind of a character too. He, you know, chew you out or yell at you or <laughs> borrow money and not pay you back, all kinds of shit like that, you know. Oh no! But yeah. he was he was sort of a, you know, Carlos man. I can remember. I haven't seen him in a long time, but yeah. yeah. I, I would see him all the time uh, when I would go oh, down Bart, to the BART station. Yeah, the BART station right there, right. Yeah. In the but Mission District. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then uh, and then I moved away, but I got a Mojo magazine, that uh, British magazine at some point, and uh, they had a big, big uh, review of some CD that he had put out. I'm like, wow, okay, that's cool. Yeah, he's an excellent uh, player. Yeah, I mean, after Top Jimmy, I'd see him and I go, "Wow, he's great." And, you know, um, I'd see him wherever I can afterwards. He played with some friends of mine too. Uh-huh. You know, so you know, he was some of the musicians I know would play on his records or play his gigs. You know, right. One time I went to this. There was this venue I called um, Liquid Kitty, on in uh, West LA area. Uh-huh. And I go, "Oh, Carlos is playing. I'm gonna go down and check him out." It's like a nice cocktail bar, you know, oh, wow. run, run by a drummer guy who was in, a, in Lawndale. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. 
so what's I forget his name right now. Yeah, so anyway, so um Carlos goes, uh, hey Joe, uh you wanna play a little bit? I go, well, I don't know. Come on. I go, oh, well. Just get up there and tell those guys to do whatever you want them to do or something. You know? <laughs> oh, I think he just wanted to take a break and have a right, break. Right. You know? So I, 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 he gives me that spot for like a ten or fifteen minutes, and then he goes later. He goes, "That's pretty boring." And then he oh shit! Because <laughs> oh it was God. more like a spacey stuff. I told the guys, "Just play this, and I'll do this." Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, that's boring. Let me get, let me get the guitar back. You know. <laughs> so you know, but that's how he is. You know, he's funny. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. He seems like a character for sure, man. Uh, and uh, so okay. Uh, so you met Jack, and you you would just had you just started playing again at that point, or is that when you got serious about uh, really wanting to play guitar, or like that? Well, late? well, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't playing anymore at all, and I wasn't oh. even thinking about playing. And uh, you know, I I was working with next with it was this mailing service he worked at, so. He operated this machine, a labeling machine, where mail comes to and it labels the addresses on the, these envelopes, like mass mailing or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I was his assistant. I have to move things real fast and put them in a bag or something. But we talk about music when we'd work together, and I told him about punk rock and all this, you know, because in those times I was going to check out punk bands in yeah. L.A. and in Hollywood. But no one in my neighborhood would come along with me. I was by myself, you know, because no one wanted to do that. So I right. was always going yeah. out on my own, driving my car out, looking at it, and going back to Wilmington, you know, that's where I live. Okay, so, and what was, what was Jack into at that point before he would go to the shows with you? He had his, his own band called The Obstacles. Uh-huh. And he already had a band together with his friend Marshall, who calls himself Marshall Mello. So uh, these two guys would write songs together, and then they had a a drummer and a keyboard player, and they're trying to start a band. This is during the punk rock time. Yeah. And they weren't really influenced by the punk rock situation. They didn't even they weren't even familiar with it. Right. But they wrote these weird pop songs. You know, they were sort of a, a strange group. Anyway, you know, not yeah. even following New Wave or Punk. They didn't even, they weren't even following that. They just were strange anyway on their own. <laughs> so one day Jack asked me to come to the rehearsal and operate the recording machine he had because he wanted to record the rehearsal and, and study it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I went there that night to their rehearsal studio and I recorded them, you know, helped out. And I went, oh my God, that drummer is terrible because the drummer. <laughs> couldn't really keep the beat you know, he'd do these uh-huh. fills and he'd come out somewhere else go oh my god oh, shit. so the next day jack asked me um he said uh so what do you think of the band man you know i go oh shit he's putting me on the spot now so mm-hmm. i didn't want to be too critical but i said uh well you know that drummer maybe he's got, he seems like he needs some help maybe you've had a bass player because i didn't have a bass player oh shit okay i think maybe if he has a bass player it'll make things better he goes oh, all right and that afternoon they they put me in the band as bass player huh. marshall said oh you're in the band you're the bass player all of a sudden what you know so i became their bass player huh. for about two weeks or so three weeks you know right 
but um and, and then yeah. how did you uh transit how did you uh, decide to transition to guitar with or how did that work out that you guys did well i kept uh, trying to put i tried to bring in the influence of the punk scene into the into the band you know okay and uh jack was interested marshall was sort of interested but the other guys wanted, didn't want anything to do with it so they eventually quit the group uh-huh so they quit and it was just the three of us and then finally the, it just the group just broke up and uh it was just me and jack you know yeah and at that point i you know i wanted to play guitar i didn't want to play bass so I said, because uh, Jack was playing guitar and Marshall, so I just told him, uh, I thought to myself, uh, how can I be the guitar player in this band? So I thought, oh, I'll mention to Jack, he should be the lead singer, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I said, I said, why don't you be the lead singer and I'll be the guitar player? So he liked that idea and that's what happened, you know. Oh, that's funny. So it's the two of us looking yeah, and for I a mean- band. And through, throughout the time uh, of you guys' existence, it's, it's pretty much been you two as the core uh, core members, right? Yeah, right. That's our band. Yeah. So and, we'd have different people in at different periods in the beginning. And when did... Uh, so, like... So, when... Uh, I guess... Is... How... Did you already have your... Uh, let me think... How to say it? Did you already have your, the idea of the kind of vocabulary you wanted to use on guitar in the beginning, or did that kind of develop? I think uh, it's from the very beginning. I already had an idea of what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I've talked about these things before in different interviews, but I'll, I'll say it again that that my approach was because I was studying to be an, a visual artist, mm-hmm. and then I got into the idea of conceptual art in the seventies. And then I stopped going to school and just started working. Yeah. And then um, when I met Jack, I decided to approach music in that same way, like an art project or something, so something like that. So I decided to approach the guitar without any kind of a any kind of a traditional background. Right, no traditional background. So I was going to disregard those things that I, I barely knew anyway, you know, like chords <laughs> and some certain scales or something. I said, no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend like I don't know anything and just take my own approach with the guitar. So that's sort of how uh, I approached it. And I would call my, I was calling myself a non-musician. I'm not uh-huh. really a musician, a non-musician, <laughs> you know? So, and I still see myself in that way and, today you know, i'm still like a non-musician but i am a musician but I, yeah. I don't you know i have a different approach to it so in those times i thought being a musician was a little bit uh arrogant or something you know right, yeah right pretentious these guys look at them they practice they understand they study music and all that kind of thing so i said i'm going to approach it where i'm not you know, I'm going to practice, but I'm not going to think about the, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do mm-hmm. it, you know. So that's kind of the, my approach to it in the beginning. And, and as so, the years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. So like, what, you what? went, you played. So you were learning more for, uh, or you went for approach more for uh, impact and uh, 
texture more than uh, uh, than melody and that sort of thing in the beginning? Is that? Yeah, it's it's more. Um, I guess coming from a different angle with the songs. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, with the early Sacred Trust songs, Jack would come to me with a song, you know, and he, Jack plays guitar, so he would strum these chords, you know, whatever it would be, you know. Uh-huh. Go, okay, and he'd sing along, you know. Here's the song, Joe. So I thought, I don't want to play those chords and do that. <laughs> I goes, what? I go, I go, can I do something else? Well, that's the song, he would say, you know. <laughs> and then I got the idea, well, I have it. Let's have the bass player play what you're doing on those chords, and I'll do something do something different around that. Yeah. So that's how we uh, first started writing songs. So Jack would have these songs, and whatever the chord progression was is the notes the bass player would play, you know. Right. The bass player playing these notes, and then I'd make these other outside sounds or things that went along with it, you know, or sometimes I would play the chord with the bass player, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was the guitar was sort of a, a thing around the main structure of the song. So that's that was my approach to it, you know. And then the way I played, too, I didn't know what I was doing. I just used my ear, you know. Right. Go, I like this note, I like that note. You know, and I like dissonance a lot. So, you mm-hmm. know, oh, that's great! I love this dissonance in here. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I didn't think that at that time. I just thought, oh, I like the way this sounds. You know, yeah, so yeah. I would I would do those kind of things and approach it like that. You know, and that became the song. You know, huh. so yeah, it was, that's so how it, we did it. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I noticed about, and not to jump ahead or to get too locked into that type of mentality but like as in jazz like it seemed like even from the beginning you guys the way you operated in saccharine trust is all the instruments were kind of having a conversation more than all bearing down on one chord together all the time or whatever like most punk or big rock bands yeah i mean uh Definitely, everything had its. Uh, we were tied in, but it wasn't. We were always trying to do something different, or I was, you know. Mm-hmm. So and and the band, every time a member would quit, the band would change a little bit, and the right. direction would change a bit. So, I mean, even from in the very beginning, you know, we had Lewis and Richie on drums, Lewis on bass. Uh-huh. And there was a certain sound there, and we did uh, we recorded a couple of songs for Mike for his uh oh uh, yeah for New Alliance New Alliance yeah so there was that version and then those guys were gone then we got Rob and then we got Earl mm-hmm. so that was that sound then Rob left and Tony came in and it was those guys and Earl left and and uh, Bob Fitzer came in so. Yeah, it, it just kept changing. The sound would adapt to whatever the guys playing would do, you know. So, and is that it, like, I mean, was there any kind of <clears throat> conscious, excuse me, uh, conscious? Because uh, I'm sure as you, you and Jack were going along as the years were were ticking by a little bit, you probably as well as the other musicians were kind of. Th- starting to have a 
idea of the kind of arc you wanted to have with the music, the type of things you wanted to explore. So was it was it just the fact of the rhythm section changing that that uh, would dictate the di- the difference in the music, or was was there was there a mix of that and uh, a conscious uh, direction that you had in mind? Well, yeah, with us, everything's more organic. Uh-huh. So when someone new came in, we didn't sit down and talk about, well, we're going to take a new approach. Right. It just happened naturally. So, you know, it wasn't really thought out in a intellectual way or it wasn't con- discussed, yeah, it wasn't or, discussed yeah. or anything. It just happened that way. You go, oh, that, he's doing that. Let me do this then. Uh-huh. And Jack would say, well, I'll sing this then, you know. So <laughs> it would just happen that way. So we carry on like that. Okay. And uh, it, the, the thing with with Sack and Trust, too, because uh, the most amazing thing is that Black Flag asked us to go on all these tours with them. Right. You know, um, in that early period, it was 81 or something, 80 or 81, I forget now. So when we first went on tour with them, we were this band that can barely play you know <laughs> so and they're really powerful they're a powerful band right right and these early uh tours these early punk tours when you get in the van and drive off you know yeah so um you know and they're real supportive of us too they say okay these guys are with us they're gonna play <laughs> and then maybe we play a town and um wherever austin or any town you know sure and uh the most popular band in town was was going to be part of the bill, but a lot of times Black Flag would say, "Well, no, Sacrin's got to play before us. You guys open up." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so That's funny. it was really hard on us because it's like, "Wow, That's a lot of pressure." Through. Yeah, it's a lot <laughs> of pressure. Here's the best band in town. We want to. They just want to play with Black Flag, and everyone else to see their their favorite band. And Black Flag. <laughs> yeah, here's this band in the middle, Sacred Trust. Who the hell are they? Right. And what? They kind of suck, you know. People are just like, oh, what? We want our, our our bands to play. What's who are these guys? Yeah, and you guys <laughs> you know, were playing thrash and yeah, we're playing our the quirky shit, you know. Yeah. So so we go, oh wow, you know, we we're kind of taking shit from the audience a bit. <laughs> so we had to, you know, get tough real quick, you know. So we, let's just start playing harder, you know. Mm. So it started to develop like that through those tours. We started playing harder, and coming up with new songs that were kind of crazy and right. were, they, they were really hard but dissonant and crazy. And you know, we started doing that where people started freaking out, like, "What the fuck is this?" And they, <laughs> maybe they didn't, or they didn't like us, or they thought, "What?" Well, you know, it's like. Uh, well, well, yeah, this I mean, is, you guys did, no, you guys sounded what, different than anything else going on at the time. Yeah, the stuff like on Surviving You Always albums. Yeah, trust. that's all what that, I was going to say. That that seemed that, to be the the peak of that, that sound right, for you guys. That kind of sound, yeah. And it, it was like we just had to get hardcore about it. And uh, live, that stuff came off really in a crazy way, you know. And people were, would trip out and go, wow, you know. they, they Maybe they hated us. Or they liked us, or they just were just going, "What the hell?" You know. So, but we, we started to play stronger because of being mm-hmm. on those tours, you know. And we had it, uh, you know, project, you know. So we, we, and you're playing every night, you know. So yeah, 
here we go again, you know, okay, what are we going to do now, you know, so you got to do it, you know, so that kind of built that whole sound for the surviving you always songs and all that, and it's a bit much <laughs> for me. I mean, it's, uh, it's more I, intense than you would uh, normally. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah, now I can't, oh, I can't hear that, you know, and oh, then once, listen to one side and I'll listen to the second side tomorrow or something. Yeah. But, well, um, that's that's uh, yeah. that's funny because that's you know of all the people I talk to, uh, you know that are fans of you guys, that tends to be one of everybody's favorite records that you guys did. Yeah, and that's not available. I know, I know. You I know what? <laughs> I had it back in the day. I, then I saw it. At the, I kept seeing it at this one record store uh, used, uh, you know, about five six years ago. Uh, I was living in Vegas, Las Vegas, and there's a good record store, but they charged, they were, you know, pretty expensive prices. It was an okay uh, copy, whatever, but it was like 35 bucks, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I really like it, but damn, that's a lot that's of money. That's a lot for, of money, yeah. I already had it. It's, uh, so anyway, I finally, after a month or two, I went back and got it. It was still there. And uh, the, after the first day, of having it at home we had this new puppy tore it all to pieces i was <laughs> like are you kidding me are you serious yeah oh i was like God. i'm not meant to have this thing <laughs> that's that's the weird thing about that album see, see yeah. that's a perfect example of the existence of that record it's a, that record was such a struggle to make <laughs> and it, it was just sort of this crazy chaotic noisy hard stuff yeah, and then at the end, Jack's singing uh, on New Year's Eve outside in the parking lot. One of the songs, but um, you know, it was just this album, and even I couldn't listen to it. And then uh, for some reason, Greg Ginn didn't want to re-release that record. He yeah, just did. He just, you know, I even asked him, "Well, why don't you put out the album?" He says, "Oh, it's going to cost me too much to put it out." You know, I thought, "What?" You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's just too expensive to put that out again, you know. So, I mean, what could I say to him? I go, oh God. So uh, during that, it was never made. I don't think they ever made a CD of that. I I don't know. Jack tells me. Jack says that they made a lot of a. According to Jack, he says that they made a lot of extra vinyl, and it was a mistake. They were supposed to make CDs, but they made extra vinyl, so. That was their budget for that project. They weren't going to put any more money into it. Okay. So there, were extra, there was extra vinyl at the SST store in West Hollywood. I don't know. Wow. you know. So, But um, it never got really released on CD. And it's, uh, you know, it's around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can stream it somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's yeah, on YouTube, yeah, but still. Yeah, um, yeah and so, um, like, what... <clears throat> Sorry, what with uh, you and Jack, like when you're playing, is it or as you were going back then around that time and so on, like, did you build up a kind of chemistry where would you kind of react to what he was singing and vice versa? Or how did the songs how would the songs uh, originate? Yeah, well, it, it, like, again, with the, the different members who were mm-hmm. in the band. You know, I I just explained earlier the first in the beginning how we would write songs, yeah. but of yeah. course things would change later when different people would come in. So, 
you know, for me, I, I was still in this idea of a, having an almost improvised sort of guitar idea in the mm -hmm. music, you know. Yet yeah, it, it had a, a structure, you know. So it, for me, with the guitar, I would say, uh, in this part, I'm going to do this particular thing. But there was no written part I would right. do. I just had some ideas, you know, what I was going to do there. The kind of idea, the kind of idea, not the specific. Right, and then some parts were specific, but they sounded like they were improvised. You know? <laughs> so it was kind of like that, and somehow Jack and I just went along with everything. We just, you know, I didn't. He didn't tell me what to do, or I didn't tell him what to uh -huh. do. We just went along with it. I go, oh, there you go. <laughs> there we go, you know. And I would, mean, uh, would the uh -huh. songs be written mostly in practice or would you bring like pieces to practice or vice versa? I know you said yeah. in the beginning he would, but Yeah, I mean uh it varied. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'd be a jam. Uh -huh. Sometimes like a bass player would bring something in, check this out, and play a bass riff. Yeah. And the drummer would get behind him, oh, I got a beat for that. And they go, well, let me see what I've got, you know. So, and then Jack goes, well, I got these new lyrics. Let me put that in there. It'd be like that, you know. We just start making it up there as we're playing, you know. Yeah. A lot, a lot of times it starts with the bass, you hmm. know. Okay. Um, most often that's what it is uh, for me. Uh, if I had a part, I go, I got this guitar part, and then people would figure something out for that. So it's just really kind of a casual jamming or uh -huh. writing ideas you know like just that, as you know? they naturally came up kind right of yeah so yeah it wasn't you know later on when it, when sack and trust got into the jazzy phase uh -huh. then we started having more structure to the songs you know yeah that's yeah. that's that's i mean obviously you'd already talked about on another interview recently about world broken and how that was uh you With know Mike. that's yeah, yeah. improvised, yeah, improvised uh, album, yeah. And uh, like that, did you approach that specific one? Like, say, uh, uh, you talked about liking like the Electric Mile stuff in the seventies right. or sixties, seventies. Uh, did you approach it the way that kind of idea of the way they would edit those of just kind of cutting the jams into? Uh, the parts that you know piecing it together the sequencing what worked well in the within the the show or whatever yeah that's what we did uh, yeah so i was i was influenced by those miles davis records yeah, and they're amazing the, yeah and during the performance too you know the way I, i'm kind of surprised at myself because i was really uh i didn't i sort of held back and didn't play too much which is good you know yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, yeah, I just, ah, I'm gonna jam all over this. I just right. held back and, and, and that's just the that's the key, man. In. Yeah, that's, so that's that's mm -hmm. the hardest thing. That most people, when they improvise, unless they're really uh, innately good or or seasoned, they do. You know, that's the impulse is to overplay. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. Yeah. So, and I had a tendency to want to overplay. So on that thing, I. I just had a certain feeling when I played that when we performed and I was just very relaxed and uh, didn't overplay it so much. 
Yeah. Some parts maybe I go, oh gosh. When I listen to it today, I go, oh, I should calm <laughs> down there. But um, and That's it was a stress. Yeah, right. And it was sort of a stressful situation. I guess I told that story with Mike and and Tony were having conflicts. Right. You know. Right yeah, before which is we hard played. When- when yeah, your rhythm I mean, section or not. <laughs> right, the drummer wanted to go home after the sound check, you know. Okay. And I, I'd have a talk with him in the alley behind McCabe's uh-huh. and kind of calm him down. And Mike was thinking, what the fuck, you know. Mike wasn't really a problem, Tony. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> I always say this story, but I'll say it again. Yeah, yeah. I said, hey, Tony, man, Tony, Mike says you keep changing the drum parts and he has something what are what is wrong man what's going on he goes he said joe when i play the drums i'm not playing for everyone in the audience i said what <laughs> i'm playing for all the drummers out there <laughs> oh god <laughs> That's what i'm playing for all the drummers out there they gotta hear what i can do oh, I go, oh my god tony i said man this is not that we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to make music here yeah, yeah. We're trying to make music, you know, so um, you got to hold back some of your stuff, bring it out <laughs> later. I mean, you don't have to show it off every minute, you know, right, you, you right. have to display it where you can, you know. And that's such a drummer thing, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not everyone, but I've known so many drummers like that, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like if they can if they can play one fill they'll they'll play five fills you know <laughs> look i could do this too yep yep. yeah so 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 i i mean tony and i had a talk and he we had an understanding at that point yeah don't don't you're not going to display all your your whole <laughs> shelf of uh, you know the whole library of what you can do yeah, in this your one setting yeah <laughs> you're going to have to make music out of this stuff and use that to make it sound good and then Tony came through, you know, after that. Yeah, well, maybe that, agreement. a lot yeah. of times, like, you know, bands, you know, people I've known as well as my own bands, like, those, like, pre-show fights or arguments all of a sudden turn into that kind of tension translates into a really focused performance, you know. Yeah. Or the other way around, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, for us, it worked out. I was glad it worked out. And then the editing, uh, it worked out, you know. So yeah. I don't even remember what the whole thing sounded like, but people seemed to enjoy it there in, in, in the audience. And it was edited in, in a good way, Definitely, I thought, and uh, little snippets of this. And, you know, the idea of improvising at that time was kind of crazy. It was Joe Carducci's yeah. idea, you know. <laughs> So I mean I I, I thought I, I'll I'll do it you know I can oh, do sure. it oh sure yeah yeah I'm you sure know, I'll you try still... it up yeah and then Jack goes oh okay me too you know so he goes yeah of course I can play all my stuff sure I'll do it <laughs> you know so you know but Bob just joined the band and he got scared you know he, he wouldn't he didn't want to do it you know and he's a great bass player yeah and the thing is that we had some rehearsals before that and I didn't mention the rec- recording or or, or Joe Carducci's idea. I said, let's let's just improvise today when we're uh-huh. practicing. And Bob sounded fantastic, you know. Yeah. I go, oh my God, this is going to be great. And then we did another rehearsal. Oh, this is excellent. And then when I said, well, Carducci wants us to do a, a live album, you know, <laughs> that freaked Bob out. And then he uh, didn't want to do it, you know. 
Well, you know, yeah, so. you know, I understand. Yeah, and that's when Mike just joined. Yeah, he just joined. So it's sort of like, hold on, there's someone at my door. Man. Look at yeah. my window. Like some people. What's going on out there? You just look out real quick, sorry. Yeah. Oh, hello. Hi. Oh, he's just showing, the guy's showing the room to someone else next door. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, yeah, I think, I think Bob thought it's his first record. It's, he's never been recorded on an album. And, you know, what the fuck? What if I make some mistakes or something? Mm -hmm. My friends aren't going to like it or whatever, you know? So he, um, you know, he backed out. And then Mike mm. stepped in, you know. Mike said, I'll do it, you know, so that was good. Right. Because I was, was about that, to... Mm -hmm, go ahead. Was that the first time you that you had jammed with uh, with what? Yeah, I think it was. First time oh. we actually jammed, yeah. Oh, yeah he, uh, occasionally, I, he, they'd ask me to, like, play a couple songs with the Minuteman. Joe, oh, sit yeah. in with us, you know. There would right. be things like that, but never really jamming. You know, I kind of jam with them, you know. That's the first time we actually did that. So, Mike, that's how, see, that's our history, me and Mike, you know. So, yeah. we're, you, earlier you were talking about how it is with Mike. So, I mean, he stepped in and saved that project, you know, because Joe said, uh, can you guys just do it as a trio without bass? I said, no, that's not possible, Joe. Just forget the whole idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had already set things up, you know, he was ready to roll, you know. And he's Joe's go, oh God. And then Mike says, Hey, Mike jumps on the phone and says, I'll, I'll do it. So he's huh. okay, here we go, you know. So that was it, you know. That's great. So, and I mean he's you you know, you guys had chemistry right away on there, so and I remember yeah. when I remember when that came out, I got it like and I was when I saw that he was on there too, it's like extra selling point for sure right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like that with Mike. When I, you know, with me, when it, if Mike's there, oh, well, Joe, Joe's got Mike here. All right, <laughs> let's check it out. You know, exactly. so definitely, like man. My it. best friend, my best well-known friend, or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, uh, so, and then you guys did uh, "We Become Snakes," and uh, yeah, like mm -hmm. of all the of that first batch of records of songs like what are you what are you most proud of with well, that guys? whole with that whole period of sacrament trust i mean i brought it there came a time when we were jamming and I, you know i was really into jazz music and uh you know i was really into that you know yeah and i tried to keep bringing that element into sacrament trust and i i knew some saxophone players and you hear a little bit of on on um surviving i invite some guys to play uh -huh. horn players right but i kept wanting to do that and they were cool with it and i invite some guys i know to, to sit in with us on a couple songs in a live situation and then uh finally we met steve moss and he just kind of fit in with us and i said hey why don't we have a sax player in the band huh. and they said well okay everyone went for it you know <laughs> So Steve was in the band. Yeah. But, um, in a way, I think that's the biggest mistake for, that I I made with Saccharine Trust because it got a little too... Uh, and it's good and bad, I guess, because 
it, it, I think Sack and Trust didn't need to be jazzy. It needed to be something else. Mm. So I look back on that and go, wow, what, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? You know, I kind of, kind of pushed the issue with everyone, and mm-hmm. they went along with it. And I was trying to be trying to make Sack and Trust into this punk jazz group or something, you know. And Jack was going, well, okay, you know. So there was tension there in a way, but we went, we we managed to do these things, and we did some good shows, and we did that record. Yeah. You know, you know, but and in a way that led to Universal Congress of mm-hmm. that, that period of Sacred Trust. It's just sort of the way I wanted to go, but it would have been better if I just would have formed another band at the like same Universal, time. Yeah, at yeah. the same time, Universal Congress of, and let Sacred Trust do what it does, you know. But sure. in those days, it's funny because in those times, most people were only in one band, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure, know sure. It was like, okay, that's my band, you know. And so all <laughs> your instincts, you know, and the, your desires go into that one group. Have you know? to be so, filtered into that one right. container. It's, yeah. it's right there, you know. And so today, you know, of course, now people have different projects. And I'm going to use that for this other thing, you know, So which is better, you know, if you have a sure. group. It has a certain sound. It's good with the sound. And if you got some other kind of ideas that don't go with the actual group sound, take them somewhere else. Yep. Yeah, you know, exactly. So that's kind of how I feel about that period. I should have taken those sounds somewhere else and see what happens with Sacrum Trust. But it just became sort of claustrophobic and kind of a, everyone wanted to filter their ideas in there too. So we all kind of were cluttering our thoughts into this group mm-hmm. and the group became less it's like everyone's ideas became more important than the group you know so mm-hmm. that's probably why Sacred Trust broke up that first time you know because yeah. it just you know Jack wanted to do his poetry thing and Tony wanted to play his drums you know in a fantastic way <laughs> yeah. and Bob Fitzgerald says oh, I want to play at a fusion band and mm-hmm. I want to do some experimental you know, avant-garde jazz thing or something. So mm-hmm. we were just sort of all kind of conflicting and trying to put it in the one pot, like you said, you know. Yeah. So um, in a way, that sort of killed it, you know. It's just, at some point, we just thought, that's this is the end, you know, of this group. And, you know, and, and the group did sound good at times. And Moss wanted to play sax. But, um, yeah. you know, um. We were at the end of a tour with Black Flag, and we just said, I just, we were all thinking, I can't do this anymore. And everyone was like, yeah, neither can I. Uh, and we had one more, I remember we played in Arizona, maybe Tucson, I don't remember where, Phoenix, uh-huh. on this tour. And then... And you already knew uh, that you guys were done. We're, yeah, we knew we were done, and we had one more show in San Diego, but we couldn't even get it get ourselves to do that last show. I remember Greg going, come on, just do the last show. Mm. I go, sorry, Greg, we just can't do it. We're going home. Oh, so we just we just drove home after Arizona, and we didn't go to their San Diego gig. We, just, we, we quit. We broke, That's it. The band's gone, done, done, man. That's the end. Yeah. So then we drove back, and that was the end of the band at that point. You know. Uh, that must have been a long drive back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, but well, you know, with relief. <laughs> sure. Because sure. it was sort of like, wow, we don't have to do this anymore. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, relaxed. Should we get yeah, some the, beer at the liquor store? Okay, why not? 
<laughs> so you know it was sort of a we don't have to do this now right so it almost seemed like we were forced to do something that we didn't all of us didn't want to do because wow. we all wanted to do different things you know sure. so and everyone went on to do their own things after that you know yeah yeah did you so that, how soon did you get the universal congress of going well right after that immediately huh. yeah it's very quick because yeah, with that, because I, I lived in a, uh, the American Hotel in downtown L.A., and Jason Kahn, the drummer, was one of my neighbors. Well, that's we have talks. Yeah, right. I just go up to his floor. We have some talks about music, and, and he understood my concepts, and I understood his, you know. Yeah. So we decided, let's put a jazz band together. It comes from a punk rock, a yeah. punk background, you know. So that's, that's what like happened with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like you guys you flip this the the script from being a a punk band with some jazz influence to being a jazz band with some punk influence. Mhm. Mm yeah, and it's the direction I wanted to go. I said we that's how it started. Me and me and uh, Jason Kahn, you know. So we started that group, and then we decided we look for players, you know. We got Ralph and Steve. Mm -hmm. I brought Steve in, you know. So yeah, so that's kind of. The, that was really what I wanted to do at that time. Right. You know, so there, you know, I said, okay, well, Sack and Trust is done. I'm doing this now. So it just went right to the next page for me. You know, there wasn't, a, mm -hmm. there wasn't a period of thinking about it. It just, it happened. Okay, let's do it. So we did the Universal Congress of, and, and the yeah. guys in the band were uh, in the, on the same page. So we all were thinking the same way. Right. And they're all know, like monster players too, man. Yeah, I mean, everyone had their, their style and they were pretty cool. So it, it worked out pretty well with that. I really liked that period. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it ages well, too, man. Uh, do you, uh, did you feel, I'm, I'm sure you did by that point. You've been playing so much on tours and just in general for years at that point. Did you feel pretty in command of, uh, of uh, expressing what you wanted to do through the guitar at that point in your own mind? Uh, I, I'm always struggling with when I play guitar. I, get, I call it struggling, but I'm always <laughs> searching. I get, always yeah. searching. So in those times, I might have been struggling more than I do today, but still searching like I am today. So it was that kind of thing. Sure. And, um, but the, the, the good part about it was that the direction was clear, you know, we're mm -hmm. going to do this particular kind of music. So there, were, and there were no uh, conflicts, you know, we all decided what we're doing, you know, as with, you know, the late, later part of Saccharine Trust, there were conflicts. Someone wanted to do that. This guy wants this thing. The other guy wants that thing. So yeah. you're kind of struggling. Pulled in to, different to, directions. Yeah. Oh, that's well, okay. We'll do that. Well, this, can we do this too? You know, mm. it's uh, with with Universal Congress of there was none of that. We just said, "Yeah, we're doing this." <laughs> so it was streamlined. You know, the, whew, open you a highway to for thoughts. <laughs> you know, and how, how we're going to go. So, bam. So it's great. You know, for a guitar player, I go, "Yeah, I, now I can really try to do the things I want to do." Mm -hmm. You know, so it was that kind of thing. You know, and it's yeah. mostly instrumental music. But we had to put some singing in there. And okay, I'll sing a song. You sing a song, whatever. I'm not really big on singing songs. I can sing, but 
Uh-huh. You know, it's just yeah, not my yeah. it's not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> but anyway, with with Universal Congress stuff, yeah, there was an open pathway, and yeah, we started to develop. It, it was a cool band, you know, and we would tour. Exactly. You know, and then we were on SST again. Mm-hmm. So they said, uh, well, th- there's a thing with a. Previous to that, I had this jam band, and uh, what was it that? Was a, it was called uh, Universal Congress Up. Oh. <laughs> so it's his first album, and it looks, it's just painting on the cover. I don't know if you've ever seen that SST release. And it says oh, Universal seen... Congress. I did yeah, have a... it, but I've seen that one, yeah. It's like an orange looking yeah. uh, painting. A great painter, David Amico, painted that. Oh. But, but um, yeah, I had that this jam band with Jason, the drummer. And the guy Paul, who introduced me to Jack Brewer, uh-huh. and we uh-huh. had this this bass player who was kind of a speed freak. Uh-huh. So we had this jam band, and then uh, Jason's really good at organizing things. So he organized a recording session, and we right. recorded that band. And he said, "Why don't you talk to SST about trying to release this?" I said, "Okay," but a little bit after that, the band broke up. Mm-hmm. You know, some things happened, whatever. So yeah, the band yeah. broke up, so the band was no longer around. But and the guys is SST Chuck and and Greg says, yeah, Joe, what a, cool man, you got a new band, let's do it. <laughs> and I thought, we heard your recording, that's great, we're gonna put it out. Yeah, I kind of But at that time, we were starting the the Universal Congress of, you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh man, I don't know what to tell these guys if I say, well. uh that's a different band, but I have a new band. <laughs> it would freak them out and say, what? what are you talking about, dude? Yeah. So yeah. I just said, yeah, it's Universal Congress. Of. <laughs> so they said, all right. And they put it out. And uh, it wasn't really Universal Congress of that first record. Right. So later, later on, it was the real band. But um, yeah, it's sort of a, a yeah, in-between thing. Right, right. Transition. Well, then... And so I noticed, like, <clears throat> you know, obviously you, you're in uh, a common thing with most of the projects I've heard with, of yours. You uh, obviously love uh, the on the spot and in, uh, in the moment aspect of uh, pulling things out, like in an improv sense, but you also you know, even, you know, in, in most of those projects, it seems like always have, you know, you, you have a very solid, uh, structure to a lot of the, a lot of the pieces as well. Like it's not, you, you don't usually do just completely free improv stuff, right? Except recently you said you've been doing those solo guitar ones, right? Yeah. Well, um, what you just said is, is true. That's what I'm trying to do develop with my own style is a structure around the improvisation. Mm-hmm. And even with it, with John Wynn, when I play with him on the street, I'm trying to develop that. So yeah, um, that's something I'm working on now, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. what I'm up to today, you know? So I, I mean, uh, I'm still studying on my own music and practicing. Mm-hmm. So, 
I have my ideas about what I want to do. And my approach is just like it was back when I started to play guitar. So whatever I learn and practice, that's just something that goes into, into the, into the, uh, the mixer uh, the mix yeah it's a mixer yeah it's sort of i'm doing that so i'm not going to be uh restrained by a, a certain kinds of ideas you know or knowledge or, or whatever it is you know so mm-hmm. i'm always going to have to kind of smudge things a bit and do it my way you know in, in a certain way with the music you know so that's uh my approach to it but i'm trying to that's my path right now is if, to bring those things together. All the music I've ever heard or the music I like uh-huh. or the music I've practiced or studied, all that, bring that all together and at the same time improvise with those kind of thoughts in mind, you know. So that's right. sort of what I'm trying to do now. And it, it's, 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 you know, it's a <laughs> it's big a job. Order. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> Right, so it's sort of a thing I, I want to do, and I have to figure it out and work on it and do it. So that's kind of how I am right now, you know. Yeah, so, and that's um, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand, man. It's not like you learn how to play and then you just go on autopilot. It's you're always mm-hmm. learning, right? Right. I mean, that's that's the existence of life in a way. You're always going to learn. You know? Anyone yeah. who says. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know everything. Wow, great. It's time yeah, to you, die now or something. You yeah. take a couple steps back from them, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know everything, and I'm just always trying to learn things and yeah. expand my thoughts, you know, and the way I express things. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, I, I don't know, maybe you don't even think about it, but do you, like some artists I've talked to, uh, talk about how when they think of their body of work they think of it as like just one one piece you know they're they're playing one song that they've been working on since you know the very beginning kind of thing do you see it like that way at all yeah i guess like what i just said right now the thinking part of it i think the thinking part of it is like that Uh if i listen to the yeah Maybe so. I never really th- think about that because I tend to not think about what I, I've done. So mm-hmm. I, I always try to yeah, figure out what I'm facing I'm forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's not very often, like in this interview with you, I, I have to think about those things. But normally, I don't think about those things, you know. Mm. And very, not very, not very often, I'll, I'll, I'll look back and go, "What did I do then?" <laughs> and maybe there'll be a, I'm going to check out these YouTube things of me let me see myself playing uh-huh. oh my god I can't believe this shit I did <laughs> that back then and I did that you know so I had to remind myself right. of those things so I'm the kind of guy who I can't really I don't I don't want to think about what I've done anymore you know yeah you don't want to analyze what you yeah are. so but but then you're right because it's part of a long story or like these other people it's, it's true it's it's like one big song in a way you want to see it that way so mm-hmm. yeah you know it's one long song or something yeah. and uh who knows where it goes you know uh-huh. so that's that's how I, I feel that way too i would say yeah you know yeah and, and then um, so like 
another thing I'm curious about, just because, you know, being being in bands myself, uh, knowing other musicians, whatever, talking to a lot of people, uh, I'm curious about things like, you know, I've noticed, so when you're performing, when you're actually playing live, uh, there's... You know, even within myself, it can be one or the other. But like people tend, there tend to be guitarists or performers and in whatever instrument that uh, kind of put it together like puzzle pieces as they're playing. You can see them kind of figuring it out as they're playing, and then some people just like drop into this one space and let it happen, let whatever comes out come out, and uh, you know. Where do you sit on that uh, continuum? Well, you know, um, I think both those things come into thought when you're performing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both equal in a way. And the funny thing about performing is that um, it's the focus of being able to focus, on, for me at least, being mm-hmm. able to focus on what I'm doing, you know, and being on stage or people are looking at me or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or the sound is, is not quite what I would like on the stage at that moment or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But so it, it, it takes a lot of practice to be able to, I, I realized you got to, I, I would have to relax myself mm. so I could focus. That's so, a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So in the past I'd be going, I'd be going, Oh, what? what? That distracted me. What did the drummer just do with the bass player? And I'd mess up my guitar part or something. You know, so it's almost like I had to put myself in a kind of cocoon or something of a focus, a focus cocoon and and be there and go, I'm just standing and playing them and things happen. I have to just really concentrate on what I'm doing. So, I can, I'll be, if I get into that realm, I'll be able to improvise or mm-hmm. do some things or play a, a special part that has to be executed exactly, you know? Yeah. Some complicated little melody, whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then at that point, I got to go into this mind frame where it's going to be uh, improvised and crazy. And then I got to go back to this other part that's focused. Yeah. So it's going from one thing to the next and the songs like that, you have to be really focused and relaxed. So I had to find a way to do that. So it took me a lot of years to get that with performance, you know? And, uh, right. And it's kind uh, of, it's, it's a very, uh, uh, I don't know what the word, uh, I don't want, cause zen is so overused like a meditative kind of space because you do need that kind of intense focus but at the same time you need to be relaxed and open to everything too exactly that's what it is right so i mean uh i'm getting better at it (laughs) (laughs) i'm not always successful i've had situations i'm the most i'm the guy who's had the most disasters in a live performance ever i would think I've had some major, major disasters. Like, oh shit! And people are looking at me, hoping, Joe, come on! And <laughs> I don't come through. Oh, I fucked up. I fucked everything up, everyone. Yeah. Okay, you know. 
So I, I've had those a lot of those situations, you know. But I've also had situations where I didn't fuck up. Yeah. You know, I go, look at this. I did it. Wow. So it's, and those are the most exciting moments for me. You know, I go, I did it. Well, I, I, that's my most, for me, that's the most proud moments for myself. I go, yeah. I pulled it off. It was complicated. I was, I was struggling with nerves or whatever. And uh, I couldn't really focus so clearly, but I did it. Right. You know, or the ones where you, you weren't even struggling. Wow, yeah, where just, where, yeah, where you yeah, just, right. yeah. You first notes you play it just goes you go, you go, and it's that's yeah the way you put that the first notes you play that's a funny thing when you when for me when you approach the guitar you pick it up and hold it mm-hmm. for me i never know what's going to happen huh. i'll play a note or two and sometimes i feel like oh my god this is such a struggle <laughs> playing these two notes two notes you know right. oh shit let me do yeah. the scale and I'm starting to feel like I fucking hate the guitar. I gotta play this <laughs> right now, and you know maybe I have a gig coming up. I go, I better get ready for this show or something. Oh my god, I hate holding this thing. <laughs> it's it's like a psychological thing. And sometimes I'll pick the guitar up and okay, here we go, Bing Bong, whatever yeah. you know. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I said, oh my god, right now I have it, you know. So yeah. I don't know what causes that psychological perspective, and for me at least, mm-hmm. and playing. I don't know what does I don't that. Either, you know? It's like yeah, you, you, you know just what I'm show, talking about then. You clock in and show up, and you see what happens. Yeah, yeah I see how it goes. And yeah. when it's good, you go, oh shit, right. it's it's with me today, you know. Yeah. So that's the best thing, you know. And yeah, you can go to a gig and play. You go, what the hell? I'm gonna play the. I'm gonna play the. I'm gonna play a good show tonight. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah. And it's know. all. I don't know about for you. Uh, for you guys and your projects, but like, I guess it depends on if it's a band situation or a jam. But like, I've always found I get so nervous if uh, if you have an amazing practice right before the show, it's like oh no. Like that was too good. There's no way the show's gonna be that good. <laughs> it's like a curse. Yeah, I I don't think that way. Oh, that's but good. A little bit, that's yeah, good. it's like sort of like in L.A. Like if you're driving on the freeway, uh-huh. and you go, you know, I had this job. I, I would deliver artwork. So I'm yeah. with another guy, and we're driving down a particular freeway. And there's no traffic, and the worst thing to say at that point was say, "Oh yeah, like wow, can you believe this? There's no traffic." And yeah. right away you go around the bend, boom, yeah. it's traffic. So we always everyone shuts up. We go, "How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Okay." <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one wants to say. Don't mention the traffic. <laughs> don't mention there's no traffic right now. It's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of like a weird, uh, you know. It's not real, but you know, it's, yeah, sure. it's the same kind of idea, you know. So you yes. have a good practice, you know. <laughs> you just, I don't, I wouldn't say anything about it. I go, okay. I know. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm not saying anything. Let's let's go to the show now, you know. Right. Oh, you know, I, but um, yeah. Definitely. Oh, I got a question. I I forgot to say back in the Sacred Trust area. Uh, just a silly thing, but like. 
so when you guys would tour like with flag or whoever you would you tend to be in your own van or you'd have would you guys all share a van or what was the situation with that well the first tour with with a black flag i think one of the reasons they took us because we had a van <laughs> and they needed room for des and his amplifier because oh, their yeah. van their van couldn't hold des and the amplifier so sacro I mean, is around we had a van okay can you do this tour and um <laughs> Can you take Dez and his amplifier with you? Yes. Mm -hmm. So Dez traveled with us on that first tour like that. So we had separate bands. Okay, yeah, yeah. In that time. And then I think towards the end, I remember there were different kind of tours. Mm -hmm. One van we called the Slave Ship Tour. where We were in a rented van, and we were all laying on this, these shelves sort of shoulder <laughs> to shoulder. And the equipment was in a trailer behind the van. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. That was the word. And the drives were very long. Chuck uh, booked it. And I think he was just irritated that he booked a show, a tour like that. Hmm. And he, he laid right next to me. You know, so I, I hear him grumbling to himself. Oh, man. <laughs> he punched the top. Another 10-hour drive. Top of the shelf with the people sitting up, laying up there. <laughs> yeah. And I was lucky because my spot was right behind the seats of the driver and the uh -huh. passenger seats, you know. So I could actually sit up and <laughs> lay back down. But those guys. They were stuck all, in one position. They were stuck in one position laying. They couldn't sit up because their head, would, you know, there was no room to sit up. They were trapped in there. Oh, God. But the thing was, the scary part was in those times, those guys would take a lot of LSD. So uh -huh. Dave. Davo would be taking LSD and driving the van at night, <laughs> and Henry was on the passenger side. Right. And, and then in the middle was um, what's his name? I forget the guy's name now, but he was one of the roadies. But he had the band. Uh, oh, you talking about the Nick Heist guy? Tom, Tom Tricoli. Oh, Tom Tricoli. Uh -huh. He was in the middle, and they'd be, you know, in the middle of the night. Whoa, look at that! Ah, ah, look out! <laughs> you know, Henry go. What, what was that? I think they were dropping, they were taking LSD and riding in the front seat like that. And I could oh, hear yeah. it. Oh, this is fucking scary. And the driver's on LSD. But he was a good driver still. <laughs> you know? It's probably a better driver sometimes. Sure. Some people are Yeah, better. I remember him going, look, man, the sky, look at the sky right there with the clouds. <laughs> it looks like a big peace sign, doesn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they go, yeah, it does. I go, oh my god, I'm laying there hearing. They go, oh, shit, you know. That's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> so you know, yeah. So that was one one version of, of touring. And, and at the what, end, yeah, at the end it was cool. We'd have one van and we were more calm, yeah, and yeah. you know, we'd all be laying down or whatever. But you know, that's funny. And what what it, do you remember? What some of your favorite. Uh, or did you guys agree on like what the band, what the van tapes would be in the drive and all that? What you listened to? Well, you know, I think with with the Sacra I mean, with the Sacra tours, uh -huh. with Black Flag, whoever they, people just put some stuff. It's blaring in the front. You hardly can hear it from the back. Right, right. And then with with Universal Congress of. It was a Walkman with the headphones. 
Uh, and that and that's kind of what fucked up my hearing because <laughs> it was like my turn to drive or something. Oh, your turn now. Yeah. So I get my Walkman, and it's so hot, and we'd have air conditioning that we'd roll the windows down, and the wind would be blowing in just because it's too hot in the van. Right, right. So you have to turn the Walkman up. Oh shit! So you're bla- blowing your ear. You're bl- <laughs> yeah, I'm not realizing I'm blowing my eardrums out. And it's not till you go up to the uh, like an off ramp to get gasoline that you realize, oh my god! You take the earphones. <laughs> oh shit! I didn't realize it. these headphones are loud. You know, because right. the wind's blowing and shit. I was too stupid to realize that I'm fucking up my ears. So that's what that's the problem I have today. My ears, I I have a hearing damage because of uh, probably yeah, tinnitus or yeah, I, I mean, have tinnitus. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, I always hear this ringing in my ears. You know, I've gotten used to it. I can't hear birds really chirping outside the window. I can't hear that unless I step outside and really oh, listen. That's too bad. Yeah. You know, if someone talks to me in a restaurant or with a lot of background noise, I can't hear mm-hmm. what they're saying. So I destroyed my ears from those days of headphones and driving. Oh, and of yeah. course, the loud, the loud black flag of PA <laughs> systems they'd bring along, but. Right. You know, that's just, that's put what happened to that time, you know? Yeah. So. Definitely. And so, like, uh, you know, I've noticed from what I've, uh, looking into it, like I saw you guys, uh, I saw Soccer and Trust, me and my, I brought my son, which is cool to bring him along to that show that I think you guys released it even that Save Chi- Save Music in Chinatown thing. All right. With yeah. Watt and them. Yeah. That, that was a great show, uh, and uh, Jack seemed kind of out of his mind, but it was in a good way. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, it was kind of hot. You know, to me, that version of Saccharine Trust is the real Saccharine Trust. Yeah, you with guys Chris were Stein, really yeah, on. With Chris Stein on, on bass and Brian Christopherson on drums, uh-huh. when I look back, that's the longest existing Saccharine Trust, even when Tony was in the band in the early days, yeah. that version of Saccharine Trust existed longer than any other version. So, um, and we really, at that point, we really understood what we were doing. So it wasn't like the earlier times that mm. I, I want it to be a jazz band, we want it to be a poetry band. Right. It wasn't like that. It, it, we all just understood the band and the music is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do your other thing, you can go somewhere else and do it. At that time, we realized that, you know. Yeah. So it, for me, that's the best saccharine trust. And the the album, the German album we made in Germany, um, oh, Great yeah. One Is Dead. Mm-hmm. Great One Is Dead is my favorite saccharine trust album, and that band is my favorite saccharine trust band. And to me, that is really saccharine trust, you know. Yeah. So I, that's as good as it gets for saccharine trust you know yeah and uh i mean and then chris died of cancer you know mm-hmm. and it yeah. just sort of blew the band out of the water after that you know and and then i thought well let's try to carry on with another bass player i know i know a really good bass player young guy uh-huh. but jack couldn't do it either it just sort of threw things out of sync and jack brewer he's got his situation he's got to work he has his jobs and yeah. his life is his life is 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 living and his life is caught up with him he he can't really do a band really 
Yeah. Well, I'm in. I'm in the Jack Brewer band. You know. So, oh, you're in the Jack Brewer band. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm the, uh, the rhythm guitar player in the Jack Brewer band. So whenever he, I said, "Yeah, Jack, whenever you want to play, I'll play in the Jack Brewer band." That's but cool. Saccharine Trust takes a lot of work. So yeah, you want to do that? that. Yeah, you're going to have to commit yourself more than you can now. So yeah, that it's I'm sort supposed of a, to. I'm supposed know. to talk to him. Uh, we'd set something up, but he. Uh, he said he was feeling, he was starting to feel kind of sick the last uh, last week or two. So yeah, let's give it that's up some how. Time. Yeah, we'll see. That's how he. That's how it is with me when I talk to him too. He can't really. He's sick or something's wrong or you know. Yeah. So uh, for me, with the Jack Brewer band, I just feel I like the band. I have fun. Mm-hmm. And I like the players in the band and. Right. You know, I, and I like playing rhythm guitar. You know, yeah, it's and, a different uh, different approach, yeah, right? Right. So I'm I'm really it's like I'm the drummer and the bass player at the same time or something. You know, so I <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, so I don't care so much about playing leads or you know mm-hmm. this kind of thing. You know, <laughs> so right. I mean, I, when Jack can do it, I'll do it. You know, so that's mm-hmm. that's how I see it now. I look at him and just wait for him to say, yeah, let's do something. Of sure. course, now with the pandemic, we can't really do anything. But I know, I know that's that, such a crazy. Yeah, thing. so if the, if that works its way out somehow, mm-hmm. I don't know, with a vaccine or something, and we're back to normal again, yeah. then we'll see how it goes. You know, sure. But even then, I can't see Jack able to do a saccharine trust thing mm-hmm. at this point. But who knows? Who knows yeah. what'll happen? Right. Yeah. Of course, you never. When you think you can uh, know what's going to hap- happen, something like a pandemic or something <laughs> totally opposite happens of how you plan your life. So, yeah. Right, yeah. So, uh, you said you've got a, you were working on a recording that's that's recently? Yeah, that's just, it's a new thing I just started thinking about. And Dan McGuire, the guy from Unknown Instructors, he's always coming up with ideas. He, this guy, I don't know, he, he's a teacher, you know. Mm. I think he teaches high school or something. He must make some good money, but he's always got these projects, you know. Right. He puts a lot of CDs out besides unknown instructors. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I got this new thing. And he had this, <laughs> he's got this cello player who's pretty good. She's a, a, she plays in a, an orchestra, you know. Yeah, yeah. In Toledo, where they live. Okay. And I thought, wow, cool. So she, there's this double track of cello. He had this idea for some some poetry thing he wanted to do. So he'd add some guitar, Joe. Hmm. I said, all right. It's not very long. It's about two and a half minutes long. Oh, okay. But the cello, the cello player was so excellent, the way she played her parts, you know. And, you know, she's a trained musician. So yeah. I listened to that. I go, oh, just jam on that, Joe. <laughs> I'm thinking... I don't know about that, you know. Jam- You're like, I don't want to mess that up. <laughs> it's sort of like eh, I hear that, but jamming on just sounds kind of lame. <laughs> so I decided, you know, I tried to, I, I didn't know what to do. So I came up with this approach that's new for me, huh. where I had some parts I composed, and would play different parts, you know, these small snippets of parts. Huh. And so I thought, well. Let me try to play this, and I, okay, there's that part. Uh-huh. Whatever. Oh, I messed that up. Let me do it again. Okay. Oh, it was it was good, but not quite right. You know, <laughs> I, I'm going like, oh god, man, this is taking forever. 
Wow. And then I thought, wait a minute. I'm, I, I'm only using GarageBand, you know, I'm, uh, yeah. that's all I have. I go, I can edit these things. So, <laughs> so I started thinking about these ideas of musical parts and edit them so they sound like one thing, you know. Right, one seamless so, thing. Yeah, one seamless thing. So it's a new idea for me, and that's kind of what I'm looking towards right now, creating music in that way. Huh. where I have these ideas and I, I edit them together where it has this sort of a structure that it goes along because what, what I have to say uh, in the last three years when I moved into my new room here uh-huh. I, I, I just I said what am I going to do I had the classical radio station on you know I, I just have classical radio on in the background all the time because <laughs> With um, jazz, that's kind of how I understood jazz, but just by listening to it a lot, absorbing it, you know. Right. So I thought with classical music, it was just in the background. Maybe I'll just absorb harmonic structures, musical <laughs> musical structures. It's on all the time. I go to sleep. I wake up. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And actually, it seems that it's influenced some of my ideas. So. It, just because it's always on, it's not on now, but yeah, I started to feel this sense of harmonic structures just from the last three years of just having it in the background. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a through osmosis somehow. I was gonna say you're subconsciously yeah. learn learning uh, uh, harmony and classical arrangement. Right, but, it's yeah. sort of like that, you know. Even though I don't really understand it or I, or I do understand it even though you know it, it's kind of a thing where it's i'm just absorbing it right and uh it's sort of like uh, my own it's my own punk rock version of learning something like that just like back in the old days or trying to figure out jazz and hearing it all the time or just going back to when i first started to play you know and right it's, well it's kind of, it reminds me of something like uh i don't know if you were a fan of, uh, I mean, uh, you had to at least be aware of like Beefheart and stuff like that. All right, yeah. And it was who created these like, you know, super intricate beds of uh, sound, but you know, without knowing how to play a note. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's that kind of. I mean, this is food for that kind of thinking in a way, you know. Mm. Yeah. So. I'm, so That's now I think sense. like, oh, I got this idea about this change. I don't know how I got that idea. Maybe from just hearing things, you know. So right. the classical kind of influence comes in in a, in a funny way, you know. I'm not certainly not a classical player, yeah. or even you know I'm a non-musician, you know. <laughs> so, so but having these this kind of stimulation is good for creative ideas for me, you know. So. Yeah, now I'm thinking in this realm where, yeah, I want to kind of compose these pieces that are my, you know, my own kind of structures, you know. Hmm. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now, especially with the pandemic and all that. So I can yeah. just do that while I'm here, you know. Yeah, while you're kind of forced into a forced uh, solo mode. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, what... Uh, and then as far as like as far as like collaboration, like what what would be your dream project, you know, that you haven't done? 
It'd probably be me uh, doing some music that I wrote and I created with some musicians who can do it and understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's my dream project. If I, if I can get my, I haven't gotten to that point yet just to write hmm. music like that, you know, and say, okay, yeah. I mean, I hear some great people doing that already and they inspire me, you know. Yeah. But it's uh, just to say, uh, Wow, I wrote this song, and uh, I have this. I'm really, I'm really uh, excited. I wrote this song, and it's instrumental or whatever, even with singing. Uh-huh. And uh, I need some people who can play this for me and play along with me, and they, they, they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. That's cool for me. That's what. That's my dream project. With and you know, I know the instrumentation I would want already. Yeah. So if I can come to that point, that's that'd be like a, a new beginning for me, you know? So that's what I have to strive towards. That's what I'm stri- striving towards now, you know, to, to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. And do you see it as a, a composed thing or as just picking the right people to uh, help add their colors to what you do that fits within your vision or what? Yeah, of course, it's both those things. You know, mm-hmm. it would be composed, but... Other people would have to contribute something, you know, that that makes it special, you know. So sure. Yeah, so that's sort of what it is. It's it's all that, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, or understand my direction, or what what I'd like to do, and it's something they want would like to do too, you know. So. Yeah, definitely. That's that's kind of uh, what I'm looking for right now, you know. Cool. And, uh, I'm yeah. just trying to pre- prepare myself for that. You know? Yeah, so you're at the top of your game when, when that opportunity comes up, right? Right, yeah. And so I, I'm just trying to... Now I just have to prepare the material to do it and my thoughts about it, you know, so... Mm. That's how I'm feeling, you know. That's cool. Uh, developing uh, my ideas. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it sounds like you're doing, all, doing a lot of the legwork with, uh, you know... With playing with, uh, is it John on the John, street? Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, doing some of the uh, the way you're thinking about approaching uh, creating some things with GarageBand, all that. Uh, right, yeah. So it's like you're building towards kind of, uh, you know, what you you know it's it I guess chipping away at the the piece <laughs> that's in the in the slab, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. That's how it is for me. Well, you know. well what was the last thing that uh, that moved you? Would you say? I mean, music, listening, or what do you mean? Anything. Yeah, however you want to answer. Yeah, I mean, uh, for for me, I mean, it's not always easy to be moved by something. Sure. Because I'm 68. I'm 68 years old now. So, you know, when I was younger, I go, "Wow, that's great!" You know, get excited about it. Uh-huh. But now, as I'm older, I, it doesn't happen so often. I go, to, I have to look at something. And go, oh, you know, <laughs> finally something's doing something to me. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things. It could be just having a moment of somewhere and thinking, you know, and feeling a certain way. Mm-hmm. Or it could be hearing something, or you know, with music, all of a sudden I'm on certain a certain kick. I get on these certain kicks, you know. 
Recent yeah. has been the recent has been the Stooges. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> fuck, man! I never really listened to these guys that much. You know, oh wow. So check that. So stuff oh, yeah. like that. Just things, you know. Which you uh, know. and just just, I'm sorry, I don't mean raw to... power, raw power and Funhouse. Okay. Yeah, which yeah. are two different beasts, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Funhouse is what drew me like, drew me into that whole uh, Stooges orbit. Yeah. And I could I could see some, uh, you know, especially maybe because side two has the sax and all that, but like, you know, mm. it's not light years away from. Uh, uh, it seems in the same uh, universe as Saccharin Trust in some ways. Yeah, yeah, a rock with sax. I kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. going, oh man, why are you doing that? Why did I do that? You know, I know. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so. These kind of things, I mean, and uh, I started to think about playing guitar because I was doing this project for Dan. And I thought, well, um, I was playing the Telecaster. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not working out. So I pulled out this Epiphone hollow body. Mm. And then it became about the articulation of the instrument and the way the notes are struck. Yeah. You know, so that was a, a really important thought in my mind about playing, you know. Mm. So it, it's just, uh, it's almost like you're playing an acoustic instrument, but you're not, you know. That's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that um, was a thing, a new thing for me right now. So, it, yeah, the articulation of the instrument, mm-hmm. and that kind of moves me just to, trying to be able to do that you know yeah yeah so, um yeah that's where i'm at with that and yeah, but, it's, yeah things move you every day in a way you know if i'm lucky <laughs> if I'm, yeah well yeah exactly yeah. uh yeah and i mean that's one th- interesting thing about uh uh you know it, if it's fascinating that just variations of wood and strings like two different you know a gibson and a fender is going to give you cause you to play in two different ways you know yeah it's the physicality of the sound you know Mm -hmm. i mean i'm really into the idea of striking a string you know the attack of the string and and then what kind of sound does it produce Mm -hmm. okay and it's going to be amplified if you plug it into an amplifier you know, and but when you just hold it in your hands and you you playing it, you're playing it, it. It's um, that's the actual sound of the thing you're doing, you know. Sure. So understanding that, and then okay, now let's plug it into an amplifier. So it starts from that, you know, and sure. then you start to play, and then okay, here's the amp. So it's 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 it, the pickups are creating the sound of this thing that resonated. On its own, now it's 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 the pickups are part of it and electronics mm-hmm. of it. So all that stuff comes into play, you know. So it, it it's sort of making the sound of this. It's like you're playing a, a piece of wood or I don't know a coffee pot, you know. I don't know, <laughs> you know. It's sort of oh, this is the sound I'm going to get out of this thing right now, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's about sound and and, and the, yeah, yeah that's sensitive the, to it too. Yeah. yeah, sensitive to that, and that's 
being sensitive to it creates a thing I feel that makes people react. Mm. So the listener will go, what did you just do there? Right. So it's so minute, you know, but that's how I see, see it. You know, the, the mind, the, the most immediate kind of a reaction like that, you know, well, and that that goes in a way, in on one level that kind of ties in with talking about the Stooges, you know, who played these songs that, you know, a, a your average early teenager could learn, you know, fairly easy. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not about playing those same chords. It's it's how they how they, uh, you know, how they hit their instruments, how they the attitude with, behind it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The sentiment behind the, the sound being made. Yes. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's the most exciting thing. When you, when you hear that, and I go, oh, what? I mean, for me, I thought like, oh, wow, I never thought about this. Great. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, I remember a long time ago, before, it was Mike, before Mike was in the Stooges. Uh-huh. Yeah, he had a couple of Stooges groups or something. I forget what they were. He had, oh, that's right. He would, he, the, he would, he would, uh, oh, that, I think it was with Jay Maskus. Like they would get together and play Stooges songs. And, and then, uh, like Ron came and started playing with them and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was, it was two different versions of Stooges groups here in LA. He would do, um, go, I'm doing my Stooges band. And I go, what? I go, what? <laughs> One time he invited me to play. I thought, Nah, I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not playing Stooges songs. I, I, I know, thanks, okay. <laughs> All right, whatever, Joe, see you later. So it was like that. Yeah. <laughs> but now I go, whoa, I listen, I go, oh, I see what's going on here. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, at that time, I couldn't really be in that frame of mind. So making those discoveries is, is moving to me. These yeah. discoveries of, of music or something, you you just something you see something all the time. You look at it, oh yeah, whatever, it's mm-hmm. okay, whatever. And all of a sudden you go, let me look at that, and you go, oh shit, I didn't <laughs> know that was over there, really. You know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So those definitely. discoveries are, are are great, you know. And and that's kind of uh, I don't know. It 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 doesn't have to have anything to do with, but it's a. A sort of a psychedelic type of realization in a way like the kind of realizations you have on psychedelics like whoa this was always here this color was always here but <laughs> i've never seen it this way before <laughs> yeah right I, I never really looked at it so closely that i real now i realize it yeah yeah, yeah. So the essence of just, it or whatever. it's just just learning things through your life that's what's perfect about life you know yeah learning learning things you know just I don't care how old you are. If you keep learning things, it makes it great. You know? It does, man. And, and that's how you, you're either learning or you're dying. And, you know, that's, it, it, you learn the easy way or the hard way. It's, it's sometimes both, but like, that's, uh, you know, that's, yeah, once we stop learning, you know, that's where we're underground, right? Right. Yeah. So. And it might yeah. as well enjoy the course. That's right. That's right. That's what it's all about. Do you uh, do you do any writing? Uh, I read the the thing you wrote for the art 
art exhibit you of your pieces. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoyed that. Like, do you do uh, any uh, actual writing? I do a bit of it, and um, I wish I would have taken more notes and some of my thoughts. Because mm. um, my regular, my day job, I'm a, I, I was an art handler, so yeah. I would uh, move artwork around and yeah. transport it, install it, or pack it, move it around. Uh-huh. And the situations in that job were really interesting. You meet, you're, I'm always in a different environment, you know. Mm. people's houses rich people's houses meeting people and talking to them certain yeah. situations the way it is oh that pain's worth a million dollars okay or five hundred thousand dollars look yeah. out <laughs> you know you're like okay <laughs> you know um i wish i would have wrote more or taken notes more about that environment yeah that, that's a really interesting place it's pretty and unique, I thought, yeah. Yeah, I thought, man, I should be writing about this stuff, you know, this this every day-to-day activity with this, but I never did. Mm. So if I, you know, I, that would be interesting writing to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't do it, so my memory, <laughs> I don't remember those things, so who knows? Well, I mean, I write something. I wanted to write a story about, about, um, Zachron Trust, because a friend of mine said you should write a you should write um you should write a like a memoir about your times uh-huh. in Zachron Trust. Yeah, and I thought, wow, man, that's kind of corny, man. Really, I thought, what if I wrote a fictional piece, a fiction piece about a guy in a band like like Zachron Trust? Right. You know? yeah. So I started to write something like that, you know, where. It's not really, and it gives you more liberty in a way for sure. more things to go on, you know. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to write a story about a guy who's in a band playing guitar, like me, you know, playing guitar <laughs> yeah. in a band. And this is what's going on. So maybe at some point I'll be able to do that. But that's kind of my only inspiration for writing, uh-huh. really. That would uh, be interesting, man. I'm sure a lot of people would, uh, would, uh, get some uh enjoyment and uh whatever out of that uh yeah i mean that's what like you know that's why i thought something like uh bob dylan's autobiography he wrote a few years ago was so interesting because it's so like kind of stream of consciousness kind of goes off on these different rants and raves about different artists and it wasn't linear as far as timeline and all that oh what's that book called uh it's called god damn it i don't I think i remember it? that yeah okay i'll have to look, the, look yeah. into that i mean it's by obviously it's by him so it's the only book uh, by him i can't remember what, okay it does have a name and i can't think of it off the top of my head yeah all right, all right. i'll have a look at that yeah it's pretty good man uh especially too because it, it is like kind of it doesn't take the traditional path of you know, tell all right. biography. Right, yeah. 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 But uh yeah, man, and what what's going on? Have you been doing art at all? Yeah, I've been doing I did a cover for some friends. Mm. So uh, I, I I'm really uh I like to do old drawings. Well I was doing drawings with a brush and ink. Yeah. 
they kind of resemble Raymond Pettibone drawings in a way. People go, is that Raymond Pettibone? No, it's oh, no. <laughs> one, one of my drawings. Oh. <laughs> so it's so like I like what he does. Is like, I, I, I'm not trying to imitate him. It's just the way sure. I do things. But um, it's small drawings. Nothing like him. That guy's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, but um, then uh, these guys wanted me to do a cover for their album. They're, it's an improvised record. Uh-huh. And I go, oh, okay, I have to draw now. Okay. <laughs> and um, But I got into this idea of drawing with watercolor. Huh. So it's it's what I'm it's my direction for drawing right now watercolor so instead of ink yeah. I'm doing a black it's black and white you know just watercolor and black black watercolor interesting so okay. um yeah maybe I, I'll text you the cover you can look yeah. at it yeah I would love to see yeah. that man uh, yeah. what's what's the project that you're doing it for it's this guy Dan Klukas he's a trumpet uh well he's he's a trumpet player he plays a cornet Okay. He's a trombone player. I don't remember his name. Mm. And drums and bass. Mm. And um, they're imp- they did an improvised recording, and they asked me to to do a cover for them. Yeah. Cool. And so, with art, do you do you go through phases, or do you, as far as uh, of output, or do you kind of need something, a project to kind of coalesce to uh force you to do it how do you, how's your inspiration for art go yeah that's kind of what it is right now i need to be forced to do it <laughs> so but yeah. i mean i i want to expand beyond that so i'll have to uh, have myself start just doing artwork just because i want to do it you know yeah. most times someone says can you do a cover for me or can you do this or that mm-hmm. and i'll do it you know so but um, and it always feels sort of like I'm under pressure to do it, or uh, I'm restricted in a way. So I should do more of that on my own. You know, yeah. that's sort of um, that's one of the things I started doing. You know, that's sort of my first sort of expression, drawing yeah. and painting like that. You know. Oh yeah, you said because so, you were doing art before you even right yeah did guitar so, yeah. Huh. Yeah, so that's interesting. You're kind of uh, uh, the the serpent's tails in your ma- in its mouth now. You're yeah. you're, you're doing the uh, uh, express. You're learning the expression of the stuff that you started when you were young, but in a more realized way, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, especially now that I have more time. You know, so are you, you retired know. now or no I, I i'd like to be retired <laughs> <laughs> but um you know I, I i collect social security but mm-hmm. you know i still have a lot of the bills so it's not enough to cover all that so i have yeah. to find some kind of work or something at some point when things clear up or i don't know what's going to happen i know but, um, no one does man yeah so it's just making money and finding a way to make money you know mm. that's sort of um where I'm at, I, my costs aren't really that high. I'm just, yeah, that's you good. know, I don't, yeah, you know, I'm just a guy here doing my thing, you know. So, do you? Uh, not a big deal. Right, um, right. Uh, when was the last time you played out? I mean, obviously before the pandemic, but 
Well, of, well, of course, on the street. Oh, that's true. Yesterday. Yeah. Right. And, right. <laughs> and the, the last actual show in a club was with Jack Brewer Band in San Pedro at this new club they had there. Mm. So that was the last time I did a gig in a club. Okay. With them, you know. And just just playing with uh, with your friend John on the street, does that give you some of that uh, uh, energy and release that you get from playing uh, live shows? Oh yeah, sure. Because yeah. we're out there. We're, I mean, we're actually playing outside with amplifiers, and people drive by and look at us, or honk and wave, and <laughs> or they just stop and look at us, you know. <laughs> Has anyone recognized you? No, no one. <laughs> Not that I know. <laughs> That'd be funny. Hey, Joe Byers, what the fuck? <laughs> right. What are you doing? No one's ever said done that. It's mostly people, but they trip out. Like they go, "What is going on there?" <laughs> I could tell. They go, "What?" Yeah, yeah. Because you know? you're not playing like you know some pop song on this sidewalk yeah <laughs> i'm really focusing on what i'm doing so it's <laughs> it's not just fucking around you know it's really yeah. it's almost like okay serious shit like okay i'm doing this and yeah we're hey, not man, just and we're not just fucking around here we're actually playing <laughs> thinking about what we're doing here yeah yeah for <laughs> sure and i had mentioned uh sunny rollins in the beginning so this is almost like your uh you know his bridge period where he would go out and play on the on the mm. Brooklyn Bridge every night instead of playing any shows just to kind of find his sound. That's kind of what it is, yeah. Because yeah. it's so open. You're just playing, and uh, for me, I'm playing and I'm making discoveries, and it's so free and open that it's excellent. And, and it's a it's a performance too because it's outside, and yeah. whoever wants to hang out, they can listen. And it's open ended, you know. Sure. So you, so you can hang out for five minutes and go away. That's good, <laughs> you know. So who's going? You're going to stay for a whole hour. Fine. That takes a lot of, you know, concentration and patience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, but the, the I'm feeling as long as I'm out here playing. Everything is thought about, so everything I'm doing is is taking con, uh, cons, considerable thought. You know, sure. It's not me just messing around and you're not just noodling, noodling around. No, yeah. everything I'm doing, every note has some thought behind it and my own kind of structure. You know, so that's what it is. And for me, that's like the training for me. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 it helps me. So when the time comes that I can play again in mm -hmm. a club or something, I have that, you know, just from that time, you know. Yeah. And so, have yeah. you thought about, uh, or or do you feel like that would uh, change it? Have you thought about like recording even just for yourself the uh, you guys is playing out there? I record all the performances. Oh, I you do. Okay. Yeah, I have them all recorded. That's cool. So I have them, and they're all kind of different. And there's a lot of material there. It's in my external hard drive here on the desk, mm -hmm. you know. So I have all that stuff there. And that way, I guess, too, t speaking of training, it's like watching, uh, uh, you know, a, 
if you're a fighter watching your matches or whatever to see to kind of see what works and doesn't work right yeah exactly I, I, it's hard for me to listen to myself it's uh-huh. almost like work you know i go i'll, I'll say oh shit okay <laughs> i'm gonna sit down and see what i did last night or yesterday or whatever yeah and it's sort of like okay let me take my medicine now <laughs> so <laughs> i gotta go oh yeah. And sometimes I'm disappointed. What was I thinking? Why did I do that? Yeah. But <laughs> the worst part me... is when you thought it was good in the moment, then you listen and you're like, oh, that wasn't good at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a learning process. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so oh, I'm going to not do that. I'm going to do, I have a different approach right now because yeah. of that. Yeah, so it's sort of that kind of feeling, you know. Yeah, that's great. And it's, 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 you know, that's pretty inspiring, I think. I mean, for me, it is to hear you, you're doing that because there's no agenda, there's no uh, pressure. It's just all driven uh, by uh, your own personal need for expression. You know, you're not right. trying to sell anything, you're not trying to uh, entertain necessarily anybody. Like, so that's pretty pure. Yeah. And um, just just trying to make it uh, honest. Every part of it is, is real, you know. So mm-hmm. with that, you know, there's there's no. Uh, it's almost like you have to keep the ego part yeah. of yourself out of it, you know. Yeah, you know, and that's so. that's the best music, man. Is the most honest, and yeah, there's some good music that's it's got a, got some ego in it, I guess. But still, mm. it's like the stuff that endures, the stuff that really touches you is the stuff that's like so honest that you know it's almost not embarrassing but almost it's like wow that's really that cuts right down to the core yeah and the ego part you're right it's that's important too we need yeah. that for yeah for a certain kind of a elements of sound or ideas and it's needed you know right so you know and that's I where, can, like, with rock, there's the swagger and all that. That's all ego, but, you know. That's fine, that's you know. Right. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it, you know. Right, right. So, yeah, so, I mean, even if I'm improvising, there may be some ego moments, but I think, yeah, that needs to be done at that point, you know. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, oh, there shouldn't be any of that in there. I'm not thinking that way. Sure. So it's it's got to be in there, too. You know, it's part of a expression yeah. you know so yeah well it's part it of the human experience there. right, right. it needs to be there so I, i'm not putting that down when i say that you know mm. or saying that's bad i'm not yeah just, yeah it, that that's that's good too you know so yeah right right definitely cool man well uh i think we got got a lot of good stuff here and i know we talked for a long time man. yeah we did it's, i'm looking now it's two hours yeah yeah uh yeah yeah and and some you know uh, i know you you're probably there's certain i tried to not go too much into the stuff that you know of course there were some things we couldn't help talking about that you've already probably talked about in other interviews but you know i wanted to try to get a more of a you know uh not deeper, but just a more full picture of like you as is how you approach your guitar playing, how you approach your, you know, 
what you're recording, what you think of from your recordings and what you're, what you, you know, what you want out of why you do what you do. So I think we got a good, good, cool, man. Good chunk of that. All right. Well, I'm, it's nice talking to you. Yeah. You too, Joe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, send, if you get a chance, send over uh, the, the I'll picture. Send, I'll, I'll send keep that it. drawing over to you. Yeah. All I'll right. keep it to myself. Right. And uh, all right. Uh, yeah, man. And maybe at some point, uh, once, uh, once the quarantine lifts or things start going in general, I'll uh, check back in with you if you're up for another conversation in, in a while. All right. Cool. Yeah, man. This uh, episode, I've got my co-host from the other podcast, End on End, here for the Record War, Jeff Kaplan. He is a huge Saccharin Trust fan, is he not? He is. He is a a huge Saccharin Trust fan. (laughs) Yeah, as as am I. And this was hard because, to me, there's not a bad uh, record in the catalog, and it really is hard to, I mean, actually, it isn't hard for me to choose my favorite, but Jeff, you chose my favorite, so I was, I chose <laughs> somewhat of a cheat one for the record war. So well, what did you choose, Jeff? Yeah, well, I mean, if this is our podcast, I'd probably, you know, lambast you a little bit for picking it such a cheat choice, but this is your house. This is a whole brand new house that we're in right now. Uh-huh. It's very different than the other house that we uh, <laughs> oh, that yeah. we visit. But architectures all, all all different. Yeah, well, just saying that I'm I'm a huge Saccharin Trust fan. They were a very very early band for me actually, and but if I had to pick one, and I love them all, but if I had to pick one, me it too. would be the first full length album, um, the second release overall, uh, Surviving You Always. You bastard. Yep, <laughs> it's classic. It's the one I know the best. The one that you said you know pretty much every note and change on all those SST records for, from them. I uh, I could definitely say that of the of surviving you always. 
and pagan icons for that matter. But yeah, oh, such a good choice, my friend. They're all great, and it's unfortunate because this this is the one album that's the hardest to find. Right. You know, it was right. only ever released as a standalone release. It was only ever released on vinyl. It never got a CD repressing. It never. The only compilation it's on is on that uh, the Sacramental Element cassette that pairs it with Pagan Icons and a few of the early comp tracks they did. But even mm -hmm. that was only ever released on cassette. I mean, there is no modern pressing. There is no CD version of this yeah, album. No CD. And you know, I mean, I guess you could go on discogs and purchase it for for a bit i, I think it's yeah. it, it'll cost you a few bucks to do it yeah and like you know 50 probably so the only way to do it is to you know just find it and download it somehow or you know youtube but you're never going to get this album sounds really good like the record itself sounds really good it does and i tell <laughs> uh we discussed it in the interview with me with joe that very that very thing and he's he is of the mind that it's kind of cursed, that it wasn't meant to be heard and that sort of thing. And I, I told a story about, which I don't know if I'll keep this part since I told it early in the interview, but where uh, I had it for years, it disappeared somehow. I then saw it in a, a record collector a record store in Vegas and kept putting off getting it because it was kind of a high price for the condition finally I bought it I was like I'm gonna get this I have to I have to own this again and bought it and the very next morning our new puppy chewed it to all live in hell oh, it was no. gone again <laughs> oh that's terrible I yeah. I got my copy um I actually remember exactly where I got my copy I got my copy at Tower Records in New York City I was still in high school so this was mm. I probably got it around 87. Okay. And my my sleeve, the bottom, the glue has come undone across the bottom. So this is, the record's in really good shape. The sleeve is, is not in as great a shape. But this is just because of use. This is just because yeah. I've listened to this album a thousand times. So yeah. it's it's worn, but it's, you know, it was it was bought pristine. It's just, you know, the wear and tear of of playing it so much. Which is a good thing, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I am so on board with that choice, and yet this is the record war, so you came with with Surviving You Always, and I am taking a record that covers all the eras of the 80s and throws in some extras, that being uh, Past Lives, the, li the live collection. That's an unfortunate choice, but okay. <laughs> so basically, you chose an album <laughs> that has songs from the album that I chose. Perhaps. So what does that different. so what does that say about your choice? <laughs> that it's uh, inclusive and superior, maybe. I, I wouldn't say superior. No, I. I no, like I'm past just kidding. It's a not. Lot. It's a great collection. You know, it's an odd live album because it's most live albums are you know, a complete show, or at the very right. least, you know, they record a weekend of shows where they play the same sets and mm -hmm. put together the best takes and make it into a good show, into one complete show. But but Past Lives doesn't even try to do that. It, no. A part of its charm is that you're hearing Saccharin Trust through all their errors. And, you know, you hear them live in 1980, you hear them live in 1986. 
I yeah. think uh, one of the songs they do twice, like Effort to Waste, which yep, they, do. they did on Pagan Icons, and they also did it a, a, a completely different rearrangement on We Became Snakes, and so you kind of hear them play both those versions. So it's a great choice. You do get um, a nice collection it's a, yeah, across it's their years. Yeah. It's it is, and it's it's you know some of the songs are a little bit raw recording. Some of it sa- they sounds much much better. Right. I like that you get some of the you know some of the banter. Um, how yeah, the, the banter is amazing. Uh, he, it's so so interesting. I, I love Jack is just uh, uh, so unpredictable and engaging always. Yeah, but odd. Always sort of <laughs> yeah, odd and uncomfortable yeah. and awkward. His whole yes. his That's I haven't listened point. to past lives in a while. But uh-huh. I mean, I know like the banter he does before they do the cover of Six Pack. Oh yeah, where he's talking <laughs> yeah. about you know those guys don't really know how to drink. They don't really get the feeling right, you know. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just it's somehow it's kind of funny and sort of like awkward at and the same awkward. time. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely, and you get I guess this good place just to say I wrote this down in the notes. Anyhow, we'll just cover this part real quick before we jump into. Uh, talking about both records uh yeah i mean the covers on this record oh you know it's amazing uh you know covering black flag the doors that great 70s soul song by charles wright express yourself oh Mm -hmm. that's so funky who knew and and last but not least of course the bible you know (laughs) that therein lies saccharine trust right well and and some of those songs you know, do appear on actual, yeah, actual on the records on actual records. Yeah, I'm just trying to pull up the uh, the song listing for Past Lives real quick. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, it starts with a poem actually, which is apropos. But the uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the Bible passage is yeah, that's from World Broken, which is kind of interesting because I don't think that that's actually. And I don't think that they actually took that off World Broken. It sounds like a different version of that. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah. Sam- 2 Samuel chapter 4. It, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of interesting because World Broken is an improvised record, but they actually took a song from it and kind of <laughs> did it again. I'd have to see yeah. again, but I do think it's a different recording. I don't think it's the same. I don't think they just I, snipped I that off World right. Broken. Yeah, because, I mean, why would they? Yeah. Since everything else is... And then there's uh, there's a couple of songs like that don't appear anywhere else, like A Lasting Thought for a Dying Cell. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's on anything. Uh, Hearts and Barbarians, that's an early song. That's an early comp track song. Uh, no Lunch, I don't think that's on any record Yeah, either. that one I didn't recognize. So, yeah. yeah, there's a few. Uh, oh, yeah, Young Lamb, that's not on anything. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that is also what's cool about that release is that it has a few songs on it that aren't anywhere else. Oh, definitely. So. And, yeah, and like I said, the... Uh, the the versions they do do of the other songs are, you know, sometimes pretty close, but sometimes edgier, sometimes jazzier, sometimes slower, or some, in some cases, like uh, for, I think like give or take a like it's like way faster. So yeah, you know, it's not just a re- redoing the hits kind of record. Yeah, and as I'm looking as through they it though, any. you know, fire as if they. Um, <laughs> Five, I mean, they do five songs from Surviving You Always on it. So that's that's a pretty, <laughs> no, that's a pretty good, I mean, that's when you consider, I mean, the album, Surviving You Always has 11 songs on it. 
Yeah. And five of them appear on the record. So, I mean, you know, it's almost half the record. So that's... Although, is, although arguably, they, they did put the weakest song on Surviving You Always on there, but I guess we'll oh get no. to that. Oh, no. Let's, let's get to Surviving You Always, because I yeah. want to hear what you think that is. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I think I know what you think it is, cause I like it, but go ahead. Let, let, what do you, so, Surviving where, where You do Always. You, so, where do you want to start with it? Just uh, um, So, you, get, you told me, how, uh, you know, where you bought it and so on. Was, was it the first uh, Sacrament Trust for you? release no the first the first saccharine trust i heard was um the song human certainty because it was on the blasting concept comp oh okay which okay. was huge for me i mean that's very early i you know when i opened the door to this whole world of you know underground music whatever you want to call it punk hardcore indie rock whatever you want to call that world for the first while i was really exclusively anything on SST because of Black Flag. I mean, like, the first year mm -hmm. of discovering this new world of music that wasn't what I was kind of seeing on MTV or some of... I was getting into some obscure metal before oh, yeah. hitting hitting the uh, the punk rocks. But anything on SST, I absorbed. And The Blasting Concept was an early one, which is such a mm -hmm. great record to expose yourself to you know, just as an aside, I mean, what was so good about getting into SST early on was the diversity of bands. Yeah, that, definitely. That punk rock wasn't just one thing. I mean, if you just think about the bands on that comp, you know, you got, you know, Black Flag, the Minutemen, Meat Puppets, Saccharin Trust, Husker Du. Yeah, not you know, one of I them mean, sound alike. Yeah. No, these bands all sound. And even the bands that are maybe a little more generically hardcore, like Overkill or The Stains... Uh -huh. Worm was still sort of unique in their own way and uh, still putting out really good stuff. But bands like that, Minutemen and, and Black Flag and Meat Puppet Sacro Trust were so, and you know, definitely Husker Du, yeah. were so forward-thinking. Oh, yeah, so radically different than anything else at the time. Sure. And, and really, guys who could clearly play. True. You know, you weren't hearing, like with our other podcast, you know, we talk about a lot of bands where in their early years you could tell that they just started picking up instruments uh -huh. uh, you know, in the past <laughs> few months, you know. Mm -hmm. But with, um, you know, even the first Akron Trust record, already the oh, musicians yeah. on that record could clearly play. So after I got the Blasting Concept, uh, Pagan Icons was okay. the first that, record that, makes uh, sense. that sure. I got. And then... You know, just anything after that. I I don't remember the exact order, but I got all their records pretty quickly mm -hmm. uh, next to each other. But and that's it. You know, I'll, I'll give you props for that because I know for everyone I knew pretty much, just the general vibe, at least in the East Coast, uh, or D.C., I should say, but even stuff I would read, like Saccharine Trust were not, were never, cons you know, in their time, appreciated as such a innovative and just wildly, wildly uh, disciplined and and uh, top notch playing band. Like they were always kind of relegated as the uh, weird cousins to all the other bands. Well, but that's the that's the that's the consequence of being of pushing boundaries 
mm-hmm. not just pushing boundaries, but like you could say Husker Du was pushing boundaries, but they were still pushing boundaries in a way that was very hooky and still very, mm-hmm. you know, melodic and hooky. And with Saccharin Trust, even though they came and played with all those bands, and there's definitely a punk vibe through their records, mm-hmm. there's also they were also highly experimental it was also highly avant-garde i mean that's kind of why you're even featuring them on this podcast yeah for sure so that's that's the consequence of kind of following that path is that in your time as you know in real time as you're releasing these records you you know you're probably not going to get the credit that you deserve at that time time. you know it's like it's like it would have been very i wasn't into black flag when Process of Weeding Out was actually released. Uh But that would have been kind of interesting to have been into Black Flag, looking forward to the next release, and having it be Process of Weeding Out. (laughs) You know, I love that record now in hindsight. But I also had the luxury of being able to absorb the entire Black Flag discography at once. It was all one piece already there. You know, it's like binge watching a show on Netflix that already aired years ago compared to you know, watching a show in real time and, you know, your reaction is kind of, you know, it's it's different based on how you get to digest these records. Oh, it's de- definitely true. And <laughs> as we're it, as we're in this aside uh, section here, like, yeah, I mean, I was listening to Black Flag when that came out. And let me tell you, people hated it, hated process of weeding out. Uh, the general vibe was you know, in in general, people were just so bummed by it. And as with anything, same with side two of uh, my war at the time. These days, everyone cites it. But back then it was like there was a lot of people that hated, hated, hated it. And I wasn't one of them. I love side two of uh, my war. And I like I could appreciate and kind of liked weeding out, but I wasn't deep into it. Uh, but yeah it was it was a super divisive divisive uh move move to to go in both of those directions and to tie it back around speaking of divisive you know you've got saccharine trust <laughs> you know who would tour with all with tour with all those bands as you said you know who you know these these punk kids go in there for pure aggression or pure like tuneful aggression and you've got n- neither one of those except for a little bit of uh, tension and uh, uh, angst and, and saccharine trust. But in Jack Brewer, you've got somebody that's, you've got a vocalist that's not your typical screamer, not even uh, remotely hardcore. You know, he didn't look like, sound like, or express himself like anybody in the punk scene at the time. So, No, I mean, he was a beatnik poet yeah. fronting a band. Yeah. You know, if you see them live, I mean, again, we use the word awkward. Like, there's kind of an awkwardness to his yeah. delivery or how he is on stage. You know, he's he, his vocals can be very, you know, I completely understand if someone is turned off by saccharine trust because of the vocals. Because I could see some people define them a little bit, you know, um, irritating or monotone. <laughs> Uh, but he's he's got you know at the same time he he sort of has a vulnerability in his voice oh, while at really the same does. time yeah. he can project. But going back to what you were saying before, this is part of a larger conversation, and that is, you know, when you're in a band, 
you know, you think of your band differently and you can kind of go with the evolutions that might come from either your own developments or through lineup changes. And definitely the lineup changes of Saccharine Trust are a part of their story. Huge part, yeah. Yeah. But when you're an audience, you know, the band name is a brand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and I don't care, you know, how punk rock you are. I mean, your band name is a brand. And so with Black Flag, if you're a fan of Black Flag, then you, ex- then you have a certain expectation of what a record coming out on, you know, under the Black Flag name should be. And if you get something that is so unbelievably different than what you've expected, whether it be the second side of my war, and then maybe, okay, maybe you then adjust to that. And so you get into like, you can deal with sort of, maybe you can't deal with Family Man so much. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you can deal with Slip It In. Maybe you can deal with Loose Nut. But then you hear process of weeding out. And again, it's like, what, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are you, mm-hmm. what are you doing to me? You know, and with Saccharine Trust, all four of their albums are completely different from each other. Yeah. And so, but Saccharine Trust, so from their point of view, well, they're just evolving. You know, it's, it ends up, you know, every band sort of has a story of what they, of what they were. You know, if, if you're Rush, let's just say, <laughs> you know, except for the first album, Rush ends up being yeah. the story of the evolution of these three people who, you know, went through life together from young men to, you know, older age and their evolution as a band together. Whereas, you know, other bands might really be the journey of one person in that band who kind of takes that band through many lineups. Mm-hmm. In the case of Saccharine Trust, it's really the journey of of Jack Brewer and Joe Biza. Yeah. yeah. And the different rhythm sections that they would acquire. I mean, Tony Cicero, who plays drums in this record, you know, did did stay with them through their SST years. He's not on uh, the earlier record, but, you know, they always, every record had a different bass player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sure. so it's hard, you know, if you're trying to build an audience, you know, from a commercial perspective, if you're trying to build an audience, you know, if you want to sell as many records as, you know, the Black Flag or the Meat, Minutemen or the Meat Puppets, you know, if if you're not going to give your audience any idea of what is going to be happening next, you know, it might be hard to find to find your footing that way. Sure. And uh you know, and adding adding in for the more and more each record, uh, you know, what could be more punk rock than a saxophone, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and there is, I mean, and a, and Steve Moss would become a full-fledged member of Saccharine Trust at the time they did We Became Snakes. Uh, there is saxophone on one song on Surviving Always, which is not Steve Moss. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, on this album, they're, they're beginning to use saxophone. There's a cornet on one of the songs. Lots of interesting, you know, percussion going on, some interesting studio tricks like kind of the beginning of remnants mm-hmm. with um, sort of the background you know the sounds of war right, sort of right so um, yeah what and so what is it do, about surviving you always that that makes it the one for you i think it's the perfect balance between their earlier sort of post-punk i mean pagan icons kind of early to be calling 1981 is kind of early to be calling anything post-punk. But you're right. But but it is, you know, kind of, you know, in that wire kind of art punk, let's use the term art punk maybe, mm-hmm. kind of way. It still has 
that, but they haven't gone full-fledged, let's just try improvisational jazz, too. Oh, yeah. No, I no, mean, no. these are songs. I was thinking about this today as I was listening to this album earlier today. I mean, I've listened to this album a thousand times, but I probably haven't listened to it in a, you know, a year or so. Uh-huh. Uh, before this morning, and it's sort of like this album, like if I can use it like a television show analogy. <laughs> You're doing that a lot today. This album is like, did I do that already once? Yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. What TV show did I? Well, did not I a specific one, but you're like talking about episodic TV versus. Uh, yeah, thing. well, I mean, you know, a lot of people watch TV and know these shows. <laughs> so I think it's a decent analogy, but. I sort of compare this album to the show The Office. Oh, my God, what? (laughs) Let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. One of the things about the show The Office that's interesting is that when you watch that show, it feels like the actors are improvising. Mm. There's a feel to improvisation with that, with that show. But it's not. The show is completely 100% scripted. But it still feels improvised. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the same with this record. This is a record that has composed music on it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not like World Broken, or it's not like a lot of sections of We Became Snakes. This is a composed album, but it has the feel of improvisation to it. So that's that's why I'm comparing sure. it to that show. So does that, now, now does that make <laughs> kind of makes sense that analogy. Now yeah, that yeah, I get it. Spelled it, that out. That, that's um, true, and it's the same as when you first hear something like Captain Beefheart, which sounds like, you know, guys just going crazy all at the same time, and till you find out that every little note, every nuance is mm-hmm. completely composed. Exactly. So, um, you know, they would. I do like the later albums. I do like World Broken because because it is improvised and it's a great improvisation. I mean, it's four musicians really, really connecting. Yeah, and a high level. You know, yeah, and you know, Mike Watt. I mean, come on. Yeah, how Mike can you Watt go wrong playing with bass? It. And We Became Snakes is great too because there's just some. You know, they get back to actually writing the songs traditionally, mm-hmm. but clearly the band has now really incorporated much more overt jazz influences. Yeah. Where on this album, it's kind of like an art punk's approximation of jazz. True. Yeah, yeah. And it, there is there is still a lot of punk rock going on this record. There are a few songs. It's very you know, angular. That, that yeah. There are a few songs in here that do sound like they could have been on Pagan Icons. I mean, A Good Night's Bleeding, Craving the Center, those two songs hmm. definitely sound like something that could have been on pagan icons but then you have things that are just relentless and, and yeah. all over the place and it's kind of a record where you know i'm listening to it and i'm thinking how did these guys even write this how did these guys <laughs> even put these songs together it blows my mind yeah yeah so it's the perfect blend it's the perfect blend of what came before and what would come after mm-hmm. but it's just it has this boiling over an intense vibe to it ebulent is that is that the word maybe i'm looking for well, ebulent would be like Filled with joy. No, that's not, <laughs> no. The word I'm for. Uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. That's not the word. Okay. Anyway, but it's just, it has the intensity of hardcore in a way, but with a more avant garde, jazz experimental context. Like, I don't think yeah. actual jazz dudes will listen to this record and say it's a jazz record. Of course. 
You're right. But it has those, you know, it has those influence. And it's so anchored, again, being a rhythm section guy. Yeah. Um, this album is really anchored by an incredible rhythm section. Yeah. I mean, Mark absolutely. Hodson's, who did not do a whole lot of music after this record, a uh, little bit, but not much. Uh-huh. His bass playing on this record is ridiculous. And oh, every every record they have, the ba- I'm like, oh, that's right. This guy can play like fucking crazy too. You know? Yeah. They never had a, a mediocre bass player as far no, as I could tell. And you couldn't be. And I love yeah. Tony Cicero's drumming. And he would, I mean, he has done a lot of stuff, Tony. He's got a mm-hmm. lot of uh, credits. But the two of them, you could strip away the guitar almost completely uh-huh, and uh-huh. still have a really solid sounding record. And yeah. so that frees Joe to just kind of go off and do all these crazy, interesting things. Yeah. And, you know, in spots, it's kind of like a. I'm not overly familiar with the work of like James Blood Ulmer, but a little bit where. Oh, you're taking, yeah, some of my notes he, again. Yeah, I was going yeah, to mention them too. He, he plays guitar almost like it's not a guitar, like like a saxophone or yeah. kind of channeling, you know, some like John McLaughlin, Mahavishnu I, sort of guitar. Yeah, I almost went there, bit. but I, I I thought more like when I thought of, uh, I was thinking Electric Miles, so I was thinking more like Pete Cozy than uh, John McLaughlin. Cause John McLaughlin's a little more, uh, he seems a little less splintered and angular than uh, Joe Biza, but yeah, I know well, what you're I think, saying. Well, I, 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 well, I, I think that John McLaughlin's playing at least on uh, "Birds of Fire" and "Intermounting Flame" is 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 very angular and sharp, and it's definitely sharp. S- yeah. Sounds, you know, but I think Greg Ginn has a little bit more of the John McLaughlin, uh-huh. but. With Joe Biza, I feel like Joe Biza, at least at this stage, was like a much better guitar player than Greg Ginn was. Oh, yeah, no question. You know, like sometimes I feel like Greg Ginn, really interesting stuff, but Mm -hmm. was also sort of just hitting frets and whatever came out came out. (laughs) Whereas I feel like... Yeah, he was more of a primitive, uh, guitar primitive, and not not to say that's a bad thing. And he would develop. I mean, by the time he got to, you know, Family Man, those instrumental stuff... His playing had evolved from, you know, what he was doing earlier on. Mm-hmm. But it was clear to me, you know, Joe, what Joe Byers is doing was very uh, specific and very, you know, he knew what he wanted to do and was able to execute it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not, it, I guess, uh, to me too, it, it you mentioned earlier the, the uh, hardcore or, or post-punk intensity uh, meet and jazz of the record it's it it is it's it's like the threshold that they could po- as far as they could possibly go you know is realized on that record the uh level of intensity and it's like a jazz jazzy punk record and then later they become more punky jazz like as thing go things move forward like the the scales kind of tip towards the jazz side more than the punk side a little bit yeah, I mean, there are more overt jazz tropes in some of the later stuff. Like, you know, like the most obvious one off the top of my head is is like Frankie Has a Pony. Oh, yeah. The long instrumental mm-hmm. became Snakes, where they're, you know, they're swinging at this point. I mean, oh, which yeah. is, you know, trope. There's not really those, as much of those jazz tropes. I mean, some of the saxophone playing on the Catcracker, which 
is not a very jazzy song actually, no, but yeah. the saxophone that Rick Cox is putting on top of that, you know, is is very jazzy. True. I love that song, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean Catcracker's awesome. It's it's very different than the other songs. It's Joe Bies is singing it. Catcracker is like a demented lounge <laughs> demented lounge song in a way. You know, something if you you know, went into the twilight zone on a cruise ship, you know, that was going off into a black <laughs> hole and you went into like the Everyone's lounge area acid, for a drink. Yeah. yeah, like this would be what you would hear or something. So <laughs> So what's your least favorite song? Uh, the cover of Peace Frog. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's not bad. I don't totally dislike it. <laughs> and I think that it's... Well, one thing about this album I really like is... And we've discussed this on, on um, End on End. Is okay. there's a, I think there was a lot of attention paid to the sequencing of this record. Yeah. It flows really, really well. It it takes the mood up, it takes the mood down in just the right places. And side B of this album, which is really two very long songs, which bookmark two very short, fast songs. Uh-huh. And after that intensity, it's kind of like Pete, there's Peace Frog, which is just sort of, we didn't write this, we're just going to have some fun, we're going to blow off some steam with it. Mm-hmm. And... But I do see, you know, there are connections to... Like, I understand why they did this song. I mean, Jim Morrison was himself, you know, a poet uh, who fronted a very jazz-influenced band. And so I could see why they would do that. And they did this live. It's on the live album. Oh, Um, yeah. I have that SST tour video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they've done on all the live releases then, right? Right. So it's, I mean... Yeah, I mean, if those of are the two standard. live releases we know, well, then it's a song lives, that... It's on the Chinatown, Chinatown one, and it's on the tour video. Yeah, so this is obviously a song that they really enjoyed playing and, and kind of taking a little bit of a, of a breath from some of the more intense moments. So I don't dislike it at all. Um, you know, I would say my least favorite original song would probably be Yahweh on Acid. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a little overlong. Um, I I think that they're they're definitely experimenting with some things, but I don't think it's as successful as some of the other places on this record. Uh huh. But for me, this is still understand. This is still a ten. I, this yeah. record to me is a ten. I agree. I I, I fully agree. And having said that, uh, <laughs> since you did choose that one, I chose Past Lives. The uh, you know cheat, if you will. It's just. I, I didn't feel like, uh, you know, I didn't I w- didn't feel like I could choose World Broken because it is, even though it is all really unique in that it's composed in the moment, uh, top to bottom, and then edited in, in a way similar to those Electric Miles albums, kind of chunked up and, and uh, reconfigured, but it just... Uh, it, it's not representative of them in in as a whole so i didn't choose that i almost chose we became snakes cuz it's it's them in full mature mode where they're really you know fully realized and still have some of that intensity but also can just go in any direction at any moment but somehow i don't know there's a couple moments on that record that don't gel with me as well as others so i completely agree 
Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think that there are some, there are some great songs on We Became Snakes. Yeah, yeah. Like the title uh, track for one. Oh, the title track is just <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but no, there are definitely songs on there that I just feel are not as, are not as strong. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I took the, uh, maybe the easy way out by, by, uh, but going with the live compilation, which I don't know, you know, like you said, the way they approach that as a live album is really interesting because it it has moments that are, you know, wholly unique to that show that that one night that they played, you know, i.e. the banter or little snippets of, you know, little jam things and the poetry. That's a great way to open it. Uh but it also just, you know, shows them in full full flight in in a live setting where they where they're taking the songs and kind of corkscrewing them, like getting all the juice they can out of out of them at each show. And I love uh <laughs> I th- I've got it written down. Let's see if I can remember it. The uh the intro he does to uh your favorite song, Peace Frog, is like that that Jack says it's right up there with uh, the intro to kick out the jams, where he's like, being it's that it's been a while since I since I heard it. I think yeah. I know kind of what you're talking about, but being that we're all here now, we'd like, with your kind permission, we would like to take it upon ourselves to rock the fuck out of you. <laughs> oh right, 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 right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so funny. I do remember that, yeah. and like and you do, said, there's man. an awkwardness I mean, they... to to Jack's delivery as he's saying. Oh, completely. There's a genuine. complete. Yeah, he. I feel like he would be, you know, much more at home at a poetry reading. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, without his vocals and his, you know, again, his there is a difference between writing poetry and writing song lyrics. Oh, for sure, and and that's something I I, I discussed early, earlier in the show, like when I'm just kind of introing it, you know. Absolutely. There's some songs that, some band songs that are poetic, but they're not poetry. You take them away from the music and it doesn't hold up the way that someone like Jack Brewer's lyrics hold up just on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, yeah. His, his his lyrics are very readable and they're not, you know, they're not always um, easily decipherable. No, but that's... But that's okay yeah. because that, that's part of poetry. It's It's... it's images it evokes it's it's the sounds of the words as you say them mm-hmm. you know like like the house the system the concrete really works well yeah like just with the flow of lyrics it almost doesn't matter what the song is about not that he didn't have specific intentions but you can enjoy them even if you're not you know going to sit there and try to analyze every word of, right. the, of the song to figure out what it's about you could just enjoy the flow of how he uses his voice and how he uses those words okay. and one thing another thing about his vocals too on this record um and again it's something that we have discussed on end on end a bit is how a lot of vocalists especially in their earlier when they're a little less sophisticated kind of you know match up the pattern of their vocals with the patterns of the instruments yeah yeah this album you know how he puts vocals to some of these songs is really unbelievable because if if you were handed like like the opening track the give or takes you know if you were handed that song as an instrumental and said okay try to try to put some words over this uh-huh. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin oh yeah I, I wouldn't even know what to do 
And what he does is just so brilliant, man. Yeah, it's he, he 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 puts these lyrics over these crazy chaotic songs where there's already completely different things going on and polyrhythmic things going yeah. on. Busy, but busy he makes guitar he makes it yeah, and he makes it a part of the song. He does such a great job with that. No, yeah, that's what I was gonna. That's exactly in a slightly different way what I was about to say. Yeah, in which you know, obviously, I've been listening to uh, you know, I, the whole catalog, but especially the past lives, <clears throat> the past couple of days, and you know, one thing that really stands out hearing you know their whole catalog live is. Jack does not have a great, you know, he's not Jeff Buckley. He doesn't have a, a five, a four, three, or even two octave range, really. But no, no, but <laughs> he uses his voice, what he has, to great effect. And he has, like, a really, really good internal sense of rhythm. The way he places his syllables, his words, like, they're very they're never off rhythm with what with what's going on like which is saying something with like you said songs that are so off kilter and and uh arranged in such you know uh, non non obvious ways yeah i mean the first thing when i think about this record um i don't know if you're going to ask me what my favorite songs on this record are but yeah yeah that's gonna we're gonna that's gonna maybe do that we'll get to, okay well let me just say that some of my favorite moments on the record uh -huh. like when you think of specific moments is his delivery of certain lines i mean you know who let the snake in you know like oh yeah that part or you know predatory <laughs> like that's some real like you know like yeah memorable jarring stuff yeah when he gets intense works. he gets really intense yeah and it just, yeah, he's he's committed to it, and he's, you know, he's another instrument, more, you know, just as much as he is the deliverer of of lyrics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, one thing about them in general, I feel like much less, uh, you know, these these releases, but just you could take any of their releases, and it's like you could tune kind of what you said about the rhythm section. You can tune your awareness onto any one one area one or two instruments and be surprised and impressed by what's going on there like you know surprised in the sense that if you're a musician you know what you would naturally think the next note or chord is going to be is 100 percent of the time almost not what it's going to be on the record or on the you know song and that's you know such a testament to uh, their innovation yeah and i don't know if this is a great record for our times where i feel like there's so much music that people just kind of listen to something once and never listen to it again this record simply cannot be absorbed that way i mean no. this record is not background music it's not a one listen record this is a record that you need to you know, you need to, first of all, get it, acquire it in a really great listenable way, which itself is an obstacle. <laughs> yeah. But then you need to, you know, get a good set of speakers or a good set of headphones, and you need to spend some time with this record. You, you need to listen to it a bunch, because how you listen to this record the first time will not be the same way you hear the record, you know, six or seven times later. And it's completely worth it, because it's... When it all fits together in place, you know, the genius of the record emerges. Oh, yeah. And again, I'm going to say that for 
pretty much all the records, but you know, I'll say it for the live one that I I've been checking out a lot. It's same thing, you know. Joe is like so just out of this world, like alternately his his playing is, you know, alternately bloody and interstellar, you know. But uh I've been trying to tune into the other ones, so like the especially the bass on all different you know, all their bass players. They're so elastic, so funky and and like without being obvious, like without being chili peppers, white boy funk, like you know, they their bass players have such a sense of pocket and just you know, kind of contracting and expanding the uh the rhythm as they go. It's 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 pretty humbling as a bass player, you know. And Yeah. You know. I mean, the beginning, like the beginning of Lot Seed, yeah, is all bass. Just he's got that sort of like twisty, turny bass line, mm-hmm. and that kind of propels the song. And no, the the bass playing is great. All all of the instrumentation on this album is is great, and that that's why it's my favorite, and it's one of my favorite records ever, really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I I'm not going to argue with you there. What's your uh, what would you say is your standout track? The one that that uh, would be the one you would, uh, if you were on another podcast, perhaps put on a playlist. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's for me. It's a it's a competition between the two track open the two track openers on the two sides. Hmm. Those are my two favorite songs. Yeah, I yeah. mean, our, our discovery. You know, that's why I said where, like YHWH on acid or uh-huh. Yahweh on acid. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Yahweh, I guess. Right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Yahweh on acid. It's sort of like a less successful version of Our Discovery because Our Discovery, it's so great. It's the um, the You Don't Know Mojack guys compared the opening to Rush's Xanadu, which <laughs> I totally never thought of before until I actually heard them say that, and it totally makes sense. Oh, wow. That's but weird, yeah. that song is such a journey, mm-hmm. um, and it's six minutes, but no minute is wasted in that. Right. And it just opens with this great bass line, almost something you might hear like on a, like an early 90s, like kind of the music that we used to play in the 90s, you know, sort of like that emo hardcore kind of stuff. Like I could almost yeah. visualize that's that bass line being sure, used. Sure. But that's also the song where, you know, Jack's vocals are just become so intense in the end. But I go with the give or takes. Mm, yeah. That opening track yeah. is two minutes of complete what the fuck are they doing <laughs> chaos it's just a relentless yeah. steamroller of energy it is it's in your the, face the drumming right? i mean the drumming is so ridiculous and intense and the, you know that's one of those songs where i don't even know how they wrote the song i don't even know how they came together and said all right guys i have this idea <laughs> and you yeah. know was able to transform it into this and the way jack puts his vocals i love some of my favorite lyrical moments, I think my favorite line of lyrics is the second verse of of Give or Takes. It, Where have your virtues taken you, along with your search for meaning, climbing and staggering your pitiful existence while yeah. bargaining for time. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's <laughs> brilliant. I mean, that's just such incredible, scathing... Mm-hmm. Poetry and you know, there's tons of religious. That's one thing about this record that people say that there's a lot of religious imagery yeah. um, on this record. Although you don't really necessarily know 
where he stands. Oh, yeah. It's not um, like he's some uh, Bible-thumping guy by any means. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But so I go with the give or takes because that, that song is just pure avant-garde experimental punk rock mayhem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just such a unique, such a unique thing. I mean, it just brings you into the, it just brings you into the record. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it grabs you by the you know, shirt and pulls you into it. It, 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 it can't be ignored. I'm at, in fact, like, you know, past lives, I think they do that song they on do. past lives. Uh-huh. And I remember hearing and being a little disappointed because it just didn't sound exactly like it was on the record. <laughs> you know, because I just, all I want to hear is that version of the song. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the definitive one, I think, which is which is saying something for the recorded version to be a definitive version. Yeah. And, you know, as far as this record goes, you know, it's it's definitely one of the more hardcore moments, but unlike A Good Night's Bleeding and Craving the Center... Um, which, like I said, could could probably have been on Pagan Icons. Mm-hmm. Um, the Giver Takes is like could not have been on that record, right? No, not at all. It's true. So it's it's like the uh, declaration of their uh, their new era for sure. Yeah. So that that would definitely be my pick. Yeah, good pick, man. Uh, I would pick peace for no i'm just joking um <laughs> uh yeah well you know i won't pick for that one i'll pick for past lives since that's what i chose and it was hard there's a couple couple uh really you know a bunch of amazing moments and a couple just really great versions of songs but when it comes down to it i i think i had to go with uh the uh, song we had mentioned earlier which to me is one of their best best songs. We became snakes. It just it goes through so many uh, areas, it, and so intensely. Joe is just like blowing my mind left and right with what he's playing, and you know Jack just gets to fever pitch as well as uh, you know the lyrics. Lyrics kind of tie in with their uh, their logo, their symbol, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, with the biblical stuff, uh, it's it's it kind of alludes to many levels, many many things. So that, that's the one and, I'm going to go with. And again, as a bass player, yeah. I mean that song yeah. just yeah. has that hip hypnotic, you know, yes. baseline. Yeah, that kind of. So that's a good <clears> way to put it. It is hypnotic. Yeah, I, and I love that. No, stuff. it's that's a great song. I love Fitz's bass playing on that record. He's he was a. Um, he was a sick bass player. He was very young. I mean, I think he was. Oh yeah, he's the one that he might have he still been 17. like in his teens. He was seventeen yeah. when he uh, joined, is what they said. And do you, I don't know if you? I mean, you may already know this this story on how, uh, you know, how how deep you've you've dug into like you know their biography and stuff. But he was in the band at the time they did World Broken. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd heard I heard that on that Mojack podcast. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Did they mention that? Yeah. Okay. They did. Okay. So yeah, he was, he was in the band. He had just joined, and and he just didn't have the confidence right. to do that. Which and is it's crazy, a shame man. because yeah. I bet he would have been. I mean, listen, I love the fact that we have Mike know, Watt on Soccer and Trust record just jamming. Yeah. Yeah. But I would have really have loved to have heard him because he's so good. Fitzer is, is. such a great bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's on the, um, that video I mentioned, that tour video, the SST, the tour video, 
and he's just sick. He's just so good. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. And so I wish he was kind of on that, but I'm I'm also glad that we have what we have. So yeah, it, you know, it it as with it, most things, it's perfect the way it came out, the way you know for whatever reason. But like, uh, you, that's a good. So for me, I'm wondering. I don't know. Like, do you know? Did he do much after that, Bob Fitzer? He is on. I'm pretty sure he was in the original version of Joe Bize's band after... Oh, Universal Congress of? Uh, Universal Congress of. So was Tony Cicero. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Uh, so. uh, God, I almost said Rob Moss. Uh, Steve, Steve Moss. Moss. Yeah, yeah, he might have been... Yeah, he might have been on there too. Yeah. I don't know that he did... That much. Uh, I'm looking. He actually. I'm, I'm looking now. He was on. Actually, he was on a couple of the Jack Brewer brand records too in the early '90s. Mm. So he was on those. And wow, he even has a credit on the first All record. What? <laughs> that's pretty. He has a credit. Hold I on. Guess. He's got a. Oh, he's he's part of the All Choir. Oh, that's funny. on one of the. I guess so. He was in the studio at the songs. same time they were. I, yeah, he probably pulled in. And they did some. But I guess he no. So he so he stayed connected. Um, to that saccharine trust orbit circle, yeah. but I don't really see that he has too many credits past the early nineties. Huh. That's too bad. Like ninety one, ninety two. I don't know. You know when they got back when saccharine trust got back together around two thousand. Uh-huh. You know I don't. I don't know why he was not. Yeah. A part of that. Not that they. You know didn't have a great bass player then too. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Well. Uh. Trying to think, any uh, anything that we that we didn't uh, cover in this that that you wanted to say about uh, Saccharine Trust or Surviving You Always? I mean, I guess the thing that I want to say is that it's just a tragedy that this record is not more accessible. I mean, yeah. Pagan Icons still available. In fact, I think it's even still in print. I think that you can still buy pagan icons direct through like the SST superstore. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but you know, world broken was released on CD. Um, mm. We became snakes was released on CD, you know, past lives, obviously. Yeah. I mean, all every other record of theirs is strange. Yeah. Is accessible. You know, you could, you could go to discogs and buy those records for fairly expensive, but you know, to get a, to get like a, a good copy of, we be, of uh, surviving you always that actually has the sleeve and the insert, yeah. you know, it's going to run you 50, 60 bucks. Oh yeah. And, and that's not that for a sucks. minute either by any means. No. And that's, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's just so, I don't know. This is a record that I just, yeah, it's a cornerstone in my, my collection. <sighs> that's for sure. It is. And so few people have heard it and even less people are going to hear it, you know, the correct way. True. But yeah, you know, and, one one last thing I'll say is, you know, so how many bands can you think of that merged poetry and uh, and music in quite the same way? There's a few I could say, but, you know, all I can think of is like Saccharine Trust, maybe like King Missile, a uh, band like Lungfish, you know, otherwise, I don't know. Yeah, I think those are those are good listings, and and you're right. I mean, you know, I think of, you know, a lot of the early not not in the same way because musically so different, but you know, being from New York and being a little New York centric in my thinking, uh-huh. 
so many of the original proto-punk um you know folks in from new york scene were were really poets first oh, right and right. it's sort of when they you know the like tom verlaine you know, people, people like, like that. tom verlaine uh richard hell yeah. patty smith true yeah and you know they were going to get a much larger audience for their poetry fronting a band mm -hmm. than you know doing a poetry reading in some bookstore yeah that's a good point i didn't think about that and you know i mean even even x i mean john yeah. doe and and exine sure um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of poets. I mean, I guess Henry Rollins in a way, not really a poet. Yeah. I mean, sort of, sort of went in reverse. He sort yeah. of went in reverse. He sort of, you know, his spoken word career kind of came out of his Accidentally. music yeah, career yeah. rather, rather than the other way around. And I love what Rollins does spoken word. Me I wouldn't too. call him a poet no, at all. Me either. But and he, his poetry that he has released, I used to get. And I, I mean, you know, I guess somewhat technically it's poetry but i wouldn't say it's uh it, on the same uh caliber as any of the people we just mentioned but that's all right yeah well i think he dabbled with it and then found his calling yeah yeah with the spoken word you know like the stuff on family man that spoken word stuff it's not like what he does today yeah today you know, which is really just yeah. talking almost like, oh, yeah. you know, stand-up comedy in a way without being funny all the time, although still with a great sense of humor. Oh, yeah. I mean, he weaves in stories and themes and kind of makes points without uh, beating you over the head with it and gets really human with his his uh, spoken word. He, yeah, he's really kind of crafted that into something. Yeah. So I think that he was probably just dabbling with you know, using words as its own form outside of the band, started with the obvious place of poetry. He did what he did. I mean, it's not the worst stuff in the world, but it's just not what he chose to really develop, you know. Whereas, um, you know, I'm sure that the lyrics on Surviving You Always wasn't Jack Brewer's first attempt at poetry either, you know. Who knows yeah. what his first attempts at poetry looked like. They probably weren't that great either. <laughs> True. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think you could say that pretty much of of uh almost anybody yeah so uh so i kind of make that connection to to some of the early new york yeah those early new york bands yeah yeah that's a valid point for sure all right well uh and you know the the fact that they you know they were into jazz they were into poetry but they very very rarely you know fell into the trope of the kind of beatnik jazz poetry uh, sound. And they did a couple of times. And, and those are probably, to me, the least successful of their material. But, you know, in general, they took, they took their approach in a, a whole different direction. Yeah. Well, this was yeah, great. I, yeah. I appreciate you having me on with this one. I know that you already talked to me enough during <laughs> the course of a yeah, week. Yeah, I didn't get enough hours of you uh, this week. So, <laughs> so yeah, you didn't get enough. But, no, Saccharin Trust, huge band for me. So I, I'm, you know, glad to do this one. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being on, my friend. All right. Thank you.
All right, well, I want to thank Joe, and I also want to thank my uh, podcast partner, Jeff, from the other podcast for stopping by. And I got to say, you know, I've done a lot of interviews lately, and this one with Joe Bizo is one of my favorites. I love the way his mind works, that he's always striving to create and to, uh, to really hone the knife that he uses to carve his creations anyhow here I am uh, the night before releasing this episode trying to hurry up and finish the uh, outro for this and for for once I'm actually recording in the dark it's later at night and I didn't turn the lights on kind of adds to the ambiance don't know why you need to know that but just thought I'd tell you so you know, I want to thank everyone for listening. I really encourage you to reach out. Uh, you can reach me now at the Facebook page for Out My Way Podcast. It should be up by the time this episode comes out. Please uh, let me know how you think I'm doing, what you think I could do better, 
who you'd like to hear, all those things. Yeah, and anything. I just love communicating. That's why I do two of these. What else? I think that'll do it. You know, I hope, if anything, this podcast, this episode has inspired someone that has not yet heard Saccharine Trust to go out and get a damn record. And for those who are familiar with them, it's like growing up, the people I knew, whenever you'd mention this band's name, if you knew who they were, you either hated them or you loved them. They're one of those bands. And I'm sure if you listen this far, you're someone that loved them. And if you're one of those people, go revisit these things, man. They're ever renewing. So good. Like, they age so much better than so many bands from back in that era. Because, you know, frankly, they're way ahead of their time. And anyhow, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I just want to say a deep bow of thanks to all these artists for gifting this uh, healing music to us. This is a fucking fractured, wounded, and uh, suffering world. And these people's music helps make that world that much more bearable and magical. So on that note, I'm going to uh, bid you adieu and tell you that next uh, episode in two weeks will be with John Truby the man, the master the uh, guy down the street from me actually and I can't wait he is one of my favorite. this is just part one I'm going to go so deep with him so we, we took our time we had a long conversation and barely got to 1980 so that's how uh, far down the rabbit hole we go and I really encourage you to check it out So, hope you're enjoying this, and uh, we'll see you next time. Good night. Oh,